How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. And I'm Jake. And you're listening to the Cinema Sideshow Podcast, episode 57. Ooh. I mean, it's not even fascinating anymore, right? It's, it's just not. a number. It's kind of, it is just a number, but they're all numbers, to be fair. Yeah. The numbers like, hold weight when we apply weight to them. Exactly. Sentimental value. It's like, yeah. like in Australia, the 21st birthday is equally as important as the 18th, sometimes even more important. Mm. And we get nothing at 21. Really? That's true. Because 18 and 21, those were like my two big birthdays. Yeah. Like those are the two that I mean, and, and the you, standard you big did ones. the same, yeah? Yeah, I mean, my, my 21st was definitely bigger than my 18th. Your go-to, yeah. Um, They were both big-ish, but like, I feel like you're... I was never at your 18th, but... You went to my... Well, my 18th was at my own house, but it was also, like, 20, 30 people. It was, it was a big thing Yeah, I thought time. your 21st was bigger, though, because it was... A, oh, my 21st was massive, yeah. Yeah. In comparison, absolutely. Yeah, so... And we get nothing at 21, really. <laughs> it's like, you know, you get... You, you get at 18, you get to drink. And you but... get your license. Yeah, yeah. So you get, like, all the things, whereas... Yeah, it's a very much an Americanized thing that's been adopted. Anyway, that's numbers true. discussion... <laughs> Aside. Aside, yes. This is episode fifty-seven. How are you, Jake? I'm doing good. We've we've actually had a busy week. Now that I think about it, we yeah. gra- we graduated like officially since. Oh yeah, since yeah. our graduate episode. Yeah, all right. the hats. That was um. That um, was uh, we got some good photos. Awesome there were some good photos from that night. Yeah, it was nice. Um, we said we said hi. We didn't see each other much that night. Uh, yeah, but I mean, I was pretty quick in and out. You were too, in and out. Because I've been to that <laughs> before, and I've been to, you know, after my high school one, I was like, right. I was very on the fence about going in the first place. I'm glad I did. I actually got to sit next to someone we know who uh, right. made my night way more interesting, because um, you all got put in alphabetical order, so I got put next to someone that... Well, you were, Mo- you were with Mooney. Yeah, with Mooney, which... He guest starred on the Blue Velvet podcast. Yes. Not this show yet. Maybe one day. Maybe one day. Um, we like good Mooney. Fun. Good fun. But um, yeah, no, I've managed to watch a lot of movies upon reflection. Yeah, I said your letterbox was pretty stuffed this week. Oh, yeah. All snake attacks aside. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I had a snake incident because oh, obviously no. we're an Australian-based podcast. I got to... <laughs> so the snakes come after us yeah. specifically. Um, And yeah, no, I've, it, was a, it was a crazy incident, I guess. There was a snake under the, the place I work. Which is a, a horse trailer cart cafe. <laughs> um, yeah, it was I've never int- heard you describe it as a horse trailer cafe. It sort of looks like, a, I but I guess that is an accurate description. Yeah, um, it's probably a bit small for a horse, to be honest. But... Well, I got attacked by jellyfish the same day that yeah. you got attacked by the snake. It's it's humans so. versus Australia constantly. <laughs> we um, should. That was my computer. We should be doing the fun? nightingale this week. <laughs> We're That's fi- fair. fighting nature all day. No, it's been good. I've had a busy week. I mm. think you've also had a pretty busy week. Yes, um, I don't think I caught as much as you did technically. Yeah, but... I mean, I'm currently up to 75 films. So the, I yeah, think I've very watched nice. 11, maybe in the last one. I'm going to count it. I uh, think I watched... I think I'm up to 69. If we're talking about features, yes. 69 this, this past month and a half. But, 10 films. Yeah. 10 films this week? 10 films this <laughs> week. <laughs> Um, Some of them are sadly better than others. not a very, <laughs> not a very strong ten. Oh no! Um, I'll just run off a couple of them. Uh, there's not a lot to say. Yeah, I, I know one of the films we saw together, so we'll talk about that. We'll one. talk about that soon. Yep. Big one I saw was Lady Bird. Um, yes, we talked about Lady Bird. Lady uh, Bird. Really enjoyed it. Enjoyed mm. it probably as much as I enjoyed Booksmart. Wow. Okay. Um, That's high praise. Obviously, different sort of takes on a. 
on a coming of age story. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, Graduation. What's well, interesting because I've said on this podcast, I think the ending significantly saves that film. Do you agree with that, or did you like it all the way through? No, I liked it the whole way through. Okay, um, I'm happy to rewatch it. Sort of felt um, like a, a way more mature version of like something like Diary of the Wimpy Kid. Okay, in a way. Like yeah. a way, and obviously Without way, the animation diary yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, like <laughs> I don't know, like Cerise Ronan's like sort of plays that sort of character that sort of neglects her f- friend obnoxiously. Oh, Beanie which Feldstein, is, which yes, who's also in Booksmart. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and I think maybe that's why I enjoy both the films just as much. Um, right, I don't know. It just like it was a really easy. I didn't find it a, a truly difficult watch. I thought it was quite right. It was. Anywhere well, it's a between, well, it's a lot of film. decent amount of laughs in it, and I like the dynamic between the mum and the the daughter. Really, I think it's actually real realistic, very well, relatable. Yeah, well, that was the thing when I saw the ending; it really clicked. Like that was the focal point. Like, yes. there's a lot of things going on, but it was always about her and her mum, that yes. relationship. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, I got to rewatch it. I really, uh, I really appreciated it. I've watched a couple of like so Court Horse Girl, which yes, the Brie Larson Netflix. Uh, no, that's not the Brie Larson one. It's the Alison Brie one. Sorry, Alison Brie. Yeah, Brie Larson was the Unicorn Store. Which yes, I s- sorry. Still haven't gotten to watching, but I will. I just, yeah, I just realised how similar the names are. Yeah, a little no, bit. That's fair. They'll both do with a horse or a variation of. <laughs> uh, weird. Um, sort of felt yeah. like it was going for a... Sort of that sort of uh, Dave, David Lynch sort of style. Okay. Because um, yeah, I saw the trailer, obviously it auto-plays on Netflix, mm-hmm. and it does have that, ooh, something spooky's happening, but yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I mean, I haven't watched a lot of like, Twin Peaks and stuff like that, but mm. I feel like it was in that sort of school of, there's just some weird stuff happening. Okay. Um, And it just felt like the performances were a little shaky. I think Alison Brie may have been... <sighs> I, I don't actually understand the story. I'd love for you to watch it and see if you could try and make it out. I'm keen. Sort I'm of keen feels to like watch a girl it. just having a mental episode, and it takes some weird turns that I don't really want to disclose. If you're going to watch it, I will. I will watch it. Um, yep. Simply because there are turns that are like technically twists in the plot, but that you would never want to spoil if someone was going to commit to watching it. Gotcha, gotcha. But. Unlike the film of the week, I don't think they pay off as nearly as effectively. Mm, okay. In fact, a lot of gotcha. them make you resonate the huh, huh? reaction. Um, I'm keen. To, I'm th- this week. I'm going to try and watch a lot of like new stuff. Stuff yeah. that's in cinemas, stuff that's in Netflix, all of that. Well, so in I'll hindsight, get, actually, it. all the films I watched this week were from at their oldest, 2012. Ah, uh, so relatively recent. And most of them sort of. sat between 2016 and 2020. Like literally, only one of them yeah. is outside of that. Um, so, yeah, no, um, big, like, couple of positive ones, more importantly, Ingrid Goes West. Yes, I've been meaning to watch this too. Uh, you should. Kind of nice. has enough similarities to your own film about social media. Okay, okay, um, I like this. There's a weird, some weird social media themes with another film that I'll talk about maybe in a little bit, but, um, yeah, Ingrid Goes West, and that was good, that was fun. Nice. Good, I've seemed to really enjoy Elizabeth Olsen in all her films. I was going to say, I thought she was in this one. She gets, like, I was looking at the letterbox reviews and people just think she's really one note. I don't think she is at all. I think she's really quite a bit of everything. It, it might have been a different um, film with her in it, but when I read those comments, it was very much like, oh, she's like a perfect human being. <laughs> she, yeah. <laughs> Which I think she is. So. White Russell's in it. He's good. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. 
um, like Kurt Russell's son. Um, but yeah, and then the lead performance by uh, Aubrey Plaza was also pretty good. Uh, I like her and um, she's actually not bad in Child's Play, the one they just put out last year. Okay, yeah. She seems like the weird sort of... I remember she was on, it was like Jimmy Kimmel or one of those kind of late night shows and she was like doing a Catwoman impersonation, but mm-hmm. she was just like crawling on a desk and stuff. And so she that's seems in really... Goes West. Oh, that's in it. Yeah. Uh, so her love interest is like a Batman super fan. Gotcha, gotcha. So there's, a, there's a sex scene that involves her dressing up like Catwoman. Oh. Um, so it there makes sense in Jimmy Kimmel. But um, yeah, no, that was a pleasant surprise. I enjoyed that. And Human Traces, which was a directorial debut from a Kiwi director. Kiwi. Uh, and I, when I say directorial debut, I mean feature directorial right, debut. Gotcha. I would like to clarify that. We're going to celebrate Gorm- the Kiwi filmmakers yes, this week. Uh, Nick Gorman. It's literally his second film even ah, listed yeah. on IMDb. First yeah. one off a poster. Yeah. <laughs> Performance you're showing me. And then, yeah, <laughs> the other one is literally a 15-minute short film. So, And it's sort of like a story told from the perspective of th- the three main characters. Yeah. Each has their own segmented part. Quite simple storytelling, but effective and really good use of a very minimal budget. I haven't Mm. checked the budget of the film, but... You could tell it was very low range. I'm sure it would have been no higher than maybe $15,000, $20,000. I could be severely underestimated. See if you find that out. I'm very curious. So Human Traces, is this on on Netflix? Uh, Yes, yeah, Ah, it is. Uh, Netflix Australia. Um, I'm not sure about other countries. So Netflix France. Can Um, I say this? You've been binding about VPN for a few weeks now on this show. I tried it for... The, we'll get to the Oscar discussion in a minute, but I tried it for that, and man, the v, I don't know. Hmm. The well, I'll give you the logline and go from there. When a mysterious young man arrives at a remote Savantarctic research station, secrets threaten the relationship of the married couple working on the island. Oh. It's good. It's good play. I actually really enjoyed it. Okay. It was an easy... It's 80 minutes, so it's tight. Nice. Um, in and out. Yes. Um, so, yeah, over to you. Beautiful. Well, uh, to go on with your ladybird discussion i watched a film very similar to it and definitely felt like a very um weaker version of ladybird mm-hmm. i watched a film called summer 03 which i think it just came out on blu-ray over here so i rented i was like oh i, I don't know anything about this film let's watch it and it's very ladybird-esque uh coming of age story about this young girl and mm-hmm. it, it focuses a bit more on like her sexual awakening in this film so it was an interesting idea the idea that she's inspired by her grandma who's now unloading all these secrets on her deathbed so the family's all spiraling from mm-hmm. these big reveals like oh this person's not your actual mother or this or that um but it just it fell really flat and the main protagonist was very unlikable so i just got to the end of it i was like oh, this kind of this isn't grabbing me at all yeah it's i had a, a couple a of big shame. couple of real duds too yeah, with, oh, yeah between yeah horse girl and some of the ones you watched this past week uh a Real strange one, Izzy and Ozzy, which was like meant to be a romantic comedy, but had a lot of really like, I don't know if these are these jokes translate well in Germany because it was actually, gotcha, gotcha. It had a weird thing where I started watching it. it took me about twenty minutes to realize that it was English dubbed. Yeah, because like the mouth was now to sync, and sometimes like I don't know, my cable on my TV puts it out of yeah, a it might bit be out a TV outputs. It's not um, working properly. But then it turns out it was actually it's a German film that placed for you automatically in Netflix in, with an English dub of it has it. Right. Which I actually think is really weird. I think my mum's watched shows on Netflix that do this because I noticed it too. I was like, what's going on? So they do dub English over their German speaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they automatically put you on that one, which uh, obviously... Yeah, because obviously I, you can pick your soundtracks, which yeah. one to play on, yeah, on, on streaming um, services. Wasn't good though. Mm, okay. Netflix has this weird thing where they a lot of their films either look flat or just a lot of unmotivated... There's some weird unmotivated stuff. The story is 
a different sort of class differentiation story to the film of the week, but very poorly handled. Gotcha. Um, I didn't Seems to be the film of the week. Just watching a lot of movies that kind of <laughs> yeah. reflect on the film of the week, but in a not so great way. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and then obviously, yeah, that's pretty much it. And then the other film we saw together. Yes, yes. Uh, we'll get to that in a moment because mm. I think that's going to be an interesting back and forth. But I watched a couple of... Uh, some of them are classics. Some of them are like kind of modern classics, I suppose. Yes. Well, I'll talk about Walk the Line. I finally saw Walking Phoenix so as Johnny Cash in Walk the Line. I really did enjoy the film. It was hard for me to turn my brain off because I'm aware of the whole... How musical biopics are very structured very similarly You know these days. Yes. You know, you start with the... You pick, a, you pick an important concert. You start in, in media res with that. Flashback to the childhood trauma. Jump ahead to them doing the first album. Montage of tour. Like, I get... I get a lot of films are like that. Mm-hmm. And that's why Bohemian Rhapsody really got shit on because they 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 change facts in real life to abide to this rule mm. of a structure which Bohemian also to. has the problem of three of the four band members are still alive and, and they also really produced it, yes. Yeah, and yeah. they're also the three least important members <laughs> of that band. So they like to point in the fact that look how involved and that's why they always feel like there's that weird shoehorn line with you know, Brian May, and you're like, okay, cool. Well, they they always look like the good guys in the film, and yeah. even the editing, you can tell they're just super cutting to all four of them, so they get equal well, to the screen time. Well, the only one who has a breakdown and, and, like, casts out the band is literally Freddie Mercury. The one guy is dead. Yeah. <laughs> they can't protect himself. Yeah, exactly. I get, I get that, but um, I think the structure was an issue, too, because, like, even Ray and that John C. Riley, which, which one did he do? He did a music biopic as well. Ooh, I can't remember what it was, but I'll double check it for you. There's right a video now. on YouTube called "The Broken Formula of Music Biopics," and this came out in the midst of Bohemian Rhapsody's release, and that's an excellent, like, 37 minute video examining the structure in that. Um, and that's frankly why I wasn't a big fan of Rocketman. I'm very happy to rewatch Rocketman mm-hmm. see if I like it more because we never technically did it on the podcast. I so we could always revisit it. I will stand by Rocketman simply because it's not a biopic formula. In fact, it. Well, the musical elements are cool. That is like it's like a, and that's yeah. enough to differentiate it from mm. the generic formula. I think uh, there's enough of the story there. I do think the last twenty minutes of Rocket Man is where it severely gets like stooped. I think okay, Rocket Man has the Star Is Born problem of it climaxes too early, as per se. Okay. Like after the Rocket Man song, the titled song, I feel like that film loses steam very quickly. Right, much like Shallow is the high point of, of the most Star recent Star is Born. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I get what you mean there. And look, I, I say this with Walk the Line. I still really like the film, and I, and I think Phoenix and, and Witherspoon especially, like, I, I can't get either of their voices out of my head. Like, I've been mm. listening to their renditions of these Johnny Cash songs on repeat, and I'm like, this is so good. They're so good. Their voice yeah. work is so good. I'm just like, man. So I really did enjoy Walk the Line from that perspective of their performances were, were just excellent. And their their music is excellent. I also watched Alien. Never seen Alien until the oh, other day. I'm so happy. What'd yeah. you give it? Um, I think on Letterboxd, I gave it four stars. I really, really enjoyed it. It was interesting because, like, in terms of the production design, you know, the missiles, even the sound work, and mm. I really appreciated it because it was all, like, really cool and just a lot of the sci-fi. I was like, this is definitely a sci-fi staple. Oh, yeah. Like, th- I can totally understand why this sort of set a new, uh, what's the word, standard, I suppose. It's it's Sci-fi. an incredible film, yeah. and I'm not a big Ridley Scott fan, but that film is probably the perfect sci-fi horror. It's fascinating because I know we talked a bit about it 
on episode 55, we talked about AI a little bit. Yes. I'm still not sure what you meant when you, you were talking about the relationship between Mother and, and Ripley in that regard. Mm-hmm. Was that something that goes past the first film? No, uh, it's sort of just like the communication and then the reveal of Ash. Right, in that scene okay, okay, I see what you mean. Is what I really like about that. Um, I mean, Mother's like something that gets addressed a little bit later on. Gotcha. But... Yeah, I, I, I can tell there's a lot of lore. I mean, Beyond I've never watched Aliens. Film. I've actually never watched the sequel. So. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. So a lot of it will probably come in that. Because, like, even the name of the alien... We don't learn the name of the alien within the no, film. No, the... Yeah, the xenomorph yeah, is xenomorph. not established in that film. It's no. just an alien, which I love in, in terms of the film. It's a very straightforward survival yeah. thing. It's like, this film is about survival, and as soon as Ripley survives, the movie ends. Yeah. Which I was fine with. I was a little like, oh, it just ended. Okay, but I was... I was happier with that than, say, Jaws. I wish Jaws mm-hmm. ended with, like, a scene later. Oh, really? Because that Jaws also kind of ends in Shark's do- dead and roll credits. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I wanted the scene of him reuniting with the kid. I don't know. but I still like the ending of Jaws, but, yeah, I get no, what you No, no, I know what you mean, but um, I can't complain because it's like, well, they've achieved their goal. It la- you, it you're ends, saying so. it, like, lacks an epilogue. Yeah, and it, I guess it's like, oh, I guess I wanted a bit more, but it's... It's not a big problem or anything Just like that. Just watch Jaws 2. The-, <laughs> the Return of the Shark, or 3 oh, or 4. Or no. 3 or 4. But no, I really love Daily, especially for the sci-fi elements there. And I rewatched the cut. So I finally got my mum to start rewatching some of these films we watched over the last year, including Once Upon mm-hmm. a Time in Hollywood. Okay. So I sat with her. This would have been the third time I've seen it from start to finish. Mm-hmm. And my man, I, I keep saying it, I, this film gets better and better the more I watch it. It's... So phenomenal. Uh, I probably need to actually give it a rewatch because, I mean, I walked away with it not feeling anything negative or anything. I just think I walked away feeling very. Which it's funny because you've rewatched two films. I did, yes. Um, I also rewatched Joker a few times. One's gone up and one's gone down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And I think I've got to do the exact same thing with both films because. I think both of them. I actually sat on a very similar sort of seven out of ten sort of. Spectrum. Sort of rating, yeah. Whereas I feel like if I rewatch both, I'm going to be pushing one one way and one the other way. Um, I think the thing I found with Joker specifically, because mm-hmm. I, I also got my mom to rewatch that, and I didn't watch that from start to end. I kind of came in and out, yeah, uh, like from different room to different room. But the thing I realized, I was rewatching parts of Joker, and I was like, I kind of just wanted to to get to those this scene and this scene. Like I wasn't mm-hmm. really enjoying the moment-to-moment, and I started realising, like, it's cool that there's a lot of scenes without a lot of dialogue, which is great, Yeah. but they didn't really replace those scenes with anything spectacular visually. So what mm. you're getting is a lot of scenes of just Joaquin kind of quiet in the corner, and I'm like, mm, there's a bit of pacing issues that really mm-hmm. are with this film. And then on top of that, the music, I love the music. I still think it's the best score of 2019, but holy crap, is it used to death? In that? And I never noticed. Mm-hmm. I was like, man, they just... This whole film is just music, 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 music. Maybe that's why you liked it so much. Maybe. But, it's just um, blurring in your face. It really is. And maybe it was the speakers that we had it on, because I'd never thought about it before. I don't know. But on the flip side, yeah, once put it up in Hollywood, I was specifically watching it for the edit and for the way they use music, because mm-hmm. I've been listening to the Once Put It Up in Hollywood soundtrack. And God, I really I appreciate how much effort they put into diegetically motivating all the music. Yeah. Like, before they will play a song, they will cut to, like, someone turning their radio on or turning TV on or, like, even when Cliff Booth's about to enter the the house in Spawn Ranch, you could see um, Squeaky changing the TV channel to create the ominous music. I was like, really clever stuff. Yeah. It doesn't do it every time. There's a couple that sneak in, but stuff like that was really clever. And I never... 
got through the film that fast. Mm-hmm. Like the first couple of times I watched it, I was like, eh, it's pretty long. It's like two hours 45. It was the only time I sat down. I was like, man, this just flies by. Maybe it's just because it feels like... I could see it being the case of the more times you watch it, the more it feels like a snapshot of an era that... Mm. I mean, for the most part, a lot of people either are too old to really recount with such detail or people that weren't born is probably the most accurate sort of Like us too, obviously. Well away from being born in that time. A few decades away. A few decades away. So, because it captures a time so perfectly, it almost feels like you're getting a look into a world that you were never supposed to look into and thus... Mm you keep wanting to just go back to it. I think you've hit the nail on the head, especially with the music, because the music puts you in there. Yeah. You know, the soundtrack includes commercial jingles. I think, you know, it's like, you're right. The lack of things like Brad Pitt really having a character arc Mm. or Margot Robbie even really having a character arc. Her being a real backdrop to the film, not really part of the plot, so to speak. I mean, for the most part, there is no plot. In fact, I feel like Leo, for the most part, gets... He gets a his, thin his arc, plot, but yeah, that's gets, about it. And his arc gets kind of resolved two-thirds into the film. Right. Like, when he gives that speech and the girl whispers in his ear that, like, he's the best actor. Yeah, that's, that's his arc. Sort of compl- that's sort You're of, right, it, it's complete two-thirds and, of the way in. Yeah, and then, like, the, the last third is more just the payoff of just, like, these bloody moppets coming in just to get <laughs> killed, basically. The ending I, I love so much, just because yeah. of what it means for... For that version of Hollywood, right? The fantasy world that they yeah. create. I think you're dead on dead on the nail. Was watching that film, you you were now immersed into mm. this world, and it's a hangout film. You're just hanging out with Leo and Brad, yeah. And I think that's why I like it. The more I watch it, because like I'm not waiting for the plot. I'm not like, how is this? You it's know, really awkward for people that don't know them to approach them now and just act like they've been hanging out with them <laughs> this whole time. <laughs> But no, I think, yeah, again, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's just, you're now immersed into this world and mm-hmm. it feels, it just feels nice to revisit them over and over yeah. again. Yeah. Yeah. Must have been nice not commuting to work that far. <laughs> oh yeah. For the, yeah. <laughs> for the whole crew, really. Yeah. Just um, like... But yeah. So one film, yeah. You, me and Jack, we all collectively watch in a theatre. Speaking um, of Margot Robbie. Yeah. Speaking of Margot Robbie, we watched Birds of Prey together. So mm-hmm. Zeke, what did you think of Birds of Prey? I didn't like it. You didn't like it? I liked it more than Suicide Squad, but that's like being like... <laughs> I literally said this. Yeah, It's like did. comparing a gigantic yeah. pile of shit to a smaller pile of shit. Of course it's better, <laughs> but it's still a pile of shit. There are some oh, massive positives in the sense that there are things that I can actually walk away and be like, I liked that part of the movie. And I think I finished on a two and a half out of five. I might have been on a two. I, no- I noticed you bumped your grade at one point. Yes. So you gave it a two, then you bumped it up to two and a half. Um... I'm going to give it a pass because nothing in the film is a fail. Mm. Um, and I think that's that's just being fair. Like, there are, like, especially when I look back at some of the films I watched this week that were definite fails. Right. Um, so you've gone through a lot of sort of random films in a haystack. And yeah, exactly. Comparatively. And, okay. Um, I think uh, her, I mean, she's still probably the best person to play the depiction of Harley Quinn. Right. That she's the best for that role. And I do think that they should have honestly just scrapped the whole Suicide Squad universe and just recast her in whatever they make next. Mm. Um, well, that's what they're doing with Suicide Squad, basically. 
Yeah, I mean, essentially, Birds of Prey is a continuation. So they are in I the same. I consider it a sequel. I do a direct yeah. sequel. Yeah. I mean, everything in the aesthetic is still sort of in the same school of thought. Mm. Um, it's definitely not in the Snyder school of thought, and it's definitely <laughs> not in the the Phillips school of thought. So, yeah. um, it's more in that unit. It's that's the closest example to it. So, it's an improvement. Hugh McGregor is an amazing campy villain. Yeah, he gave uh, me um. Gary Oldman vibes from Leon the Professional. Like, that was totally his yeah. sort of character direction there. Um, I think he gets worked. a little inconsistent towards the end. I think the guy you start with and the guy you finish... <laughs> I just remembered, like, some of the stuff he uses as insults. Yeah, I, I, I just feel like <laughs> he ends up... He goes from being sort of the rich boy who's right. pretending to be a villain, sort of more in, like... Potentially in the syndrome school of thought, syndrome where it's like this guy's got all the money and he's really not a villain at all, but he's sort of right. a vill- he's an imposing threat because of the power he yep. has, not because of the person he is. Whereas like someone like, you know, like you take like uh, even Tom Hardy's Bane or Joker, yeah. who are like very present threats because they're quite their individual presence in the room. Like Bane has an army, but Bane yeah. physically can go toe to toe with yeah. that. So yeah. Yeah, exactly. Different and type of villain, absolutely. I, I, I just, I don't know. I, there were there were bits I liked, like there's some funny humor. I don't. I'm really getting sick of. I thought some of the music was overwhelming, right? Okay. And unnecessary. It got to the point where it was particularly in the first half of the film. I had a lot more problems with the first half of the film than the second half of the film. Um, the police station sequence, which takes place. First, second transition act mm. time. Um, first hour, at least. At least first yeah. hour, yeah. Uh, she goes from room to room, and each room there's a different pop song, and I just okay. thought that that was getting to the point where we were pushing the very close, too close to the Suicide Squad of, oh, just throw a popular music track at it, and it'll hide the fact that we can't see anything, and the visual effects are kind of crap, and I just... <laughs> It was some strange okay. inconsistencies, like him hiring mercenaries in the second half of the film, but none of them are armed with actual guns, so it gives them an excuse to have a big melee fight, which is... it was. I gave it a pass because at least they were trying to be creative with that, that fight sequence stage where it was like they did it in a carnival, so it actually was mm. using the environment in a positive way, whereas in the police station, it's just grey walls and hallways, basically. It's not got a lot of character to it, which stylistically in that world doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, I felt like the police station was decorated by the materials that Harley Quinn was using. Like, you get the colour in that. She's coming into this dull area and creating the colour with her yes. mayhem. I mean, that's the thing. Like, I when I... I was, really... I, look, I walked in with you completely nihilistic as well about this film. <laughs> I was not looking for it, and I walked out being like... I like how I'm nihilistic. Wow. No, I'm just saying, like, I, I like was I'm right realistic. there with you when we watched this movie. Okay. I was in the same mindset. Jack was like, let's watch this movie, please, guys, come with me. Um, and honestly, I walked. I was actually, like, really keen. I was like, I really enjoyed that, I'm going to be honest. Mm. And just, like, a lot of stuff, like, I just feel like I picked up on a lot but of... But you didn't enjoy Guardians. I don't understand it. I didn't enjoy Guardians 2. Yeah, but <laughs> I'll rewatch it. But <laughs> I, this honestly was my favorite DCEU film. I'm just so including like Wonder Woman and that. I think it's better than that's than insane. those films. I um, it should have been called Harley Quinn versus the World. I'm though. so sick of these movies, to be honest. Like, just don't go next time. <laughs> I won't. <laughs> I'll go I, with Jack. I'm done. I'll I'll just go with Jack. I was watching the Wonder Woman '84 f- 
trailer, I was like, I could not be caring less. And it's got Chris Pine in it. Right. Um, and, he, you know, he's like, you know how that film's going to go. It's going to be one of those things where he comes back for a short bit, but he has to go back or something like that. Mm. It'll be something like that. But, like, like that's even the first Wonder Woman had that overly dumb CGI boss ending thing. And, like, that's one of the... Like, just... Why? You know? At least yeah. at least this Birds of Prey film doesn't really do... Like, the whole uh, thing feels consistent for I don't that. know. There's some weird... There's still some weird green screen stuff. Well, I'm not like, talking about, like, the effects. Okay. Necessarily. I'm just saying, like... Why does it always look so much worse in DC films? Because they don't have as much money as Marvel. That's not true. What do you they, mean, how much money do they Marvel, throw they make like a billion Superman? dollars by putting out literally anything. No, but, like, the budget of the films are pretty similar. Yeah, what but are... they probably dedicate them to other aspects then. I don't know. I mean, like, I'm, it's, I'm it's, tell, they probably use the same CGI houses as well. It's just money, I guarantee. Maybe, maybe you know, they're like slipping a bit of money to just sabotage. Like. <laughs> but look, no, I I actually did really enjoy this film. Okay. Um, I even thought like the like narratively it was quite solid, and even the fact that like there was this reverse and fast forward rewind sort of yeah. structure, which I actually thought was really. I was like, what, how is this motivated? And then I, it kind of clicked. I'm like. Well, it is in the sense that this is Harley Quinn doing the VO, telling the story, who's very sporadic in nature. Yeah. So that motivates her being like, we're winding back to this scene. Like, oh, wait, 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 let's talk about this. Oh, let's go here. I want to jump to this part. I like this part. I mean, there, there so are all that things I definitely appreciated more. I thought, I I still think that uh, the sort of, they could have made this film, yeah, definitely more a Harley Quinn versus the world story. And that should have been the title. A little Scott um, Pilgrim throwaway. Like, why not? Yeah, I the def- chi- bloody what's her name's in I the think, film? <laughs> I didn't quote the the birds of prey. Oh, just didn't care for it that much. It felt like the only reason they did a birds of prey film was literally because it would be an all women's cast and the mm. money that comes with that sort of motivation. Um, I mean, they're not making that much money from this. <laughs> it didn't work out no, too well for them, but unfortunately. Of, no, but we're mm. arguing where the marketing team sat in a yeah, room no, and we're like, where are we going next? That's why they picked this. I would prefer to film... They may have had some of these characters in it, but not the weird sort of... And they all joined forces at the end to fight. I would have preferred just to have her, because it sort of made sense because they were trying to get rid of the whole Jared. They cut Jared Leto. Oh hard. my God. How great is that? Um, <laughs> they which... literally like crop him out of old shots. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which I actually like, cause it's like That's so, so obvious, like we don't want anything to do with him, but, um, <laughs> and I like the idea that it's sort of her coming into her own. She actually does have, it, her arc should have been more about codependence to independence. And I think by having the birds of prey there, it becomes a little right. too murky. I get it. I, I agree it's not, like, the most crystal... Because you're right. It, that is the arc, and she has to become sort of independent. And I think she gets that a little bit with the kid. But even though she does... Uh, well, well, we I won't mean, spoil it. Yeah. But even though she does what she does towards the end of the film, I think you're right. The fact that there is a, a group, birds of prey, there is this group. Yeah. You're right. It does muddle it a little bit. I won't it, lie there. It makes it a little too, like... Well, she doesn't super, like... Yeah, to what, like, yeah. yeah, like, without going huge, I mean, obviously, it's in the title, you know, like, you get from the idea they're obviously going to teen up by the end. I think it's in the trailer, too. That there's yeah, like well, a, I mean, that's, it's the obvious structure that these films take now. Yeah, and uh, by doing that, she's not really finding independence, she's just finding, she's re like, she still f- comes off independent, but not super, sort of in the same way that... The Guardians characters feel independent, but also 
especially particularly mm. in the first one at least they're a little bit more separate entities of each other that come together at the end but like by the second one they're definitely a, a group but I don't know yeah it just sort of makes that story very murky it would have been better if it was more just her squirming out of situations yeah. and then finding her independence with a bit of help I like I'm the not... graphic stuff when each person she's like ronned in one way or another and it comes up with a little graphics yeah. Ding, ding. Like, that stuff was... It yeah. was stylistically consistent. At least, at least, thank God, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's... Suicide Squad was not bad. There was no family. <laughs> there was no family line. We're a, a family. family. <laughs> it's I about do not family. Care. I do not care for the Stranger Things Wonder Woman It should film. be called Harley Quinn and her family. <laughs> and they didn't, like, oh, over-sexualize man. her like they did in Suicide Squad. No, it was too. great. You could tell that, like, her costumes were, like, really... Like cool, but you're right. There wasn't any overly sexual camera yeah, movements like she or wasn't, any of that stuff. Like she, like she wasn't like the too far in the wrong direction. She wasn't like in a full bodysuit to cover every yeah. like. But sexu- also, her ass wasn't hanging out in all the shots. Well, she wasn't leaning <laughs> over to get a handbag. Oh yeah, yeah. We're bad. <laughs> what bad? She, guys? she's what still we do. I like. She's her not bad role. enough in this film, though. I like. I think she doesn't have. Like, they, they, oh, the problem is, ever since Deadpool, I feel like every sort of like film like the bad guys are actually the good guys it it just doesn't work as well because Deadpool does kill people and right. for the longest time in this film she doesn't actually kill anyone I thought it was like motivated in the sense that the version of Harley Quinn in this story is she's not like a yeah she's a bad person mm. but she's also in terms of her motivation she's not out to kill people I guess but then you got things like I mean you got things like all those characters that like wronged her, right? And some of the things she did to some of those people <laughs> broke those kneecaps, and she kicks a lot of people in this film. Yeah, <laughs> she breaks a lot of legs. I mean, that's her opening, and that's it. That's yeah. that. That comes back to a bit of con- like tonal inconsistency. It's a really funny bit where she just jumps on that dude's legs and they yeah. invert, but that's in the first <laughs> five minutes of the film. So it's sort of like if she's so casually just going to jump on someone's legs and break both their legs, she would probably be pretty comfortable with killing people. So the fact that she doesn't kill anyone. I don't know about you, I mean, Jack, that's but a bit of a shattered... stretch. Breaking someone's legs and then viciously... Mer- and I'm not saying she's not doing breaking that. someone's legs. It's yeah, not exactly. Like, it's casual. It's not him in a back room, <laughs> like her in a back room being like, I'm going to break your legs if you don't tell me the X, Y, or Z. It's, she's like, he's being a dick to me. Jumps on both his legs. Does it Does it in the most comically, like, horrible way possible. <laughs> it, it really it feels out of nowhere, and that's what makes the joke funny, but it also makes, like, when she walks into the police... And the real thing is, she couldn't kill cops, because that would make her too much of a bad guy. So she had I to honest, sandbag I thought them. the reason she used the sandwich is because she was poor at that point. She could barely afford the sandwich. So I thought she just had to make do with, like, whatever fun Those guys weapons. Are expensive. I'm sorry. That's my point. Is... We're arg- arguing silly semantics. Yeah, it doesn't matter. I, I, I actually really enjoyed this film. I actually recommend you go see it. If you thought Suicide Squad should have been good... This is as good as you're going to get, I think, in that regard. I agree. But, yeah. All right. Well, unless there's anything pressing you want to talk about, I think we can... Nah. You should... Uh, what did you jump you in? You should with? announce our Oscar ballots. Right. So, since our last episode, the 2020 Oscars Academy Awards have taken place. We did our ballot last mm. week, our predictions. Mm. And I have the results. Zeke, you do not know what your results are. No. So, uh, Literally, I've... like, we caught up, obviously, to see Birds of Prey and... Talked you... a bit about it, but... but... I don't know my results. I don't think I did well. <laughs> um, it's interesting. That's all okay. I'm going to say. 
Uh, That's what someone says for when you fail the test. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. So we're going to go through every single category that won at the 2020 Oscars. We'll be Mm. brief. We won't take too long on this. We'll just go through some of our answers. All right. So for the animated short film category, you went for Memorable, which I wish that would win. Mm -hmm. But it went to Hair Love, which I had a feeling would win because of sort of the... I don't want to say political, but in terms of what the film is, you know, it's about a young black lady with self-image and mm-hmm. doing hair and stuff, and it's a very Disney-esque animation style. Mm-hmm. So uh, that ended up winning. So I got a point in that one. For short film live action, we both lost this one. You went with Saria, and I went with Nefta Football Club. It went to the worst one, The Neighbor's Window. That yeah. film is not good. You watch it, Zeke. You watch it. It's not um, good. Power of marketing, baby. <laughs> well, I think it was the only fully English short film. So that might have had to do with the power it. of speaking English. <laughs> power of language. Um, for documentary mm. short subject, Zeke, you were correct. You did yeah. learning to skateboard in a war zone if you're a girl. You were right on picking that title. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's got war zone. It's got yeah. girls. It's got skateboards. <laughs> That's all you need. Yeah, it's sick, bro. Um, you got you got that point. I didn't. I went for in the absence. I went with my heart, and I lost on that one. So we're one one. So That's far. okay. We're both. Yeah. Yes, we're both 1-1 so far. Cool. For visual effects, we both went with Avengers Endgame. It went to 1917. So, I can see that. It's physical. It's sort of the, like, physical effects, yeah. too. The, sh- the shot of the plane going through the, the thing, that was, that was awesome. Yeah. Like, with yeah. them jumping out of the way. Like, that was, it's one yeah. of those, like, oh, how do they do that sort of yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah. So, I can see it. I can see it. But I think Avengers, it would have been nice to see it get a, to get a tick, I guess, there. Yeah, I mean, I give it to that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. For film editing, I went with my heart on this one. I voted Parasite. You went with The Irishman. Mm-hmm. I would be happy for either of those two won. Ford v. Ferrari won this category, which I can see... I can't even remember the edit in that film. Yeah, I, it, just because of like the pacing with that final race. It's like a 40-minute race. I could ask in the Sarah length about the, the editing, but she fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> I can, I'm not, look, I'm not happy. I think Parasite has a way better edit than this film. But, hey, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy. Whatever. Mm. Um, but neither of us got a point in that one. For production design, you went with 1917, and I went with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It went to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And I think the Academy just couldn't ignore the fact that like they recreated entire streets of Hollywood. With yeah. Very mini- uh, particular detail, I should say. So no, no surprise there, I don't think. For cinematography, we both went with 1917, and 1917 got the gold, so... No surprise there. Oh, two shots. <laughs> <laughs> two shots. Uh, costume design. We both went with Little Women, and Little Women got the gold. Good. So there we go. We got those two right, both of us. Makeup and hairstyle, and you went with Joker, mm-hmm. and it went to Bombshell, which I did tick Bombshell. I thought Bro, that, you're doing well. I'm doing okay. I thought the Megan Kelly transformation stuff would work really well. Um, I'm actually doing really well on some of these upcoming ones. So, for sound editing and sound mixing, I went for 1917 across both categories. That's mm-hmm. you, They just picked the same film. Yep. Not this year. They gave sound editing to Ford v. Ferrari and sound mixing to 1917. And, uh, unfortunately, Zeke, you went for 1917 in the wrong category. Oh, you yeah. picked editing and went to mixing. Uh, and neither of us voted for Ford v. Ferrari in this case. Now, because I went for 1917 in both categories, mm-hmm. I kind of got that. I went for both. I at least got one sort of yeah. thing out of that, so um, I didn't expect that at all. But I'm also not angry about it. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, original song, we both went for I'm Gonna Love Me Again by Rocketman, and of course, Rocketman won the gold. Elton yeah. John after party, baby! Yeah, boy! <laughs> and yes, he did have an after party this year. There you go. 
Uh, original score. Uh, again, we both knocked it out of the park with Joker. Joker won best original score. Yeah. So there you go. Double tick for us. International feature film. So I went with Parasite. Zeke, you went with your heart on this one. You mm, went with pain and glory. You fool. <laughs> and of course, Parasite won the best international feature. Um, I know we're going to talk about the film in a bit, but would you? I'm just. Would you have changed your decision on that if you had seen Parasite? No. Okay. Still so think pain, pain and Glory was my favorite film from last year. Damn. Okay. Fair enough. I would love to talk more about Pain and Glory. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. We're up to feature documentary. You went with Honeyland, mm. and I would have loved for Honeyland to win, but unfortunately went. To, well, unfortunately, still a good film, but it went to American Factory, which I figured the whole Obama creation sort of. American Chinese culture clash. I thought it would fit nice for their pick. So I agree. Honeyland's a better film. For Sama is a better film, but American Factory got the gold. So there you go. This one, this is the only category I'm pissed about. I am okay. really angry about this. Animated feature went to Toy Story 4. I told you it would. I, it's on last week's episode. I said, I bet you Toy Story you 4 did. is going to get it. Unfortunately, you ticked off I Lost My Body. It's true. In this one. I, I with, wish you were right. I went with heart. Yeah, I wish head. you were right. And I went for Klaus, and even that was going with my head. Because I thought Klaus was in the discussion, but we were both wrong. I'm angry about that. You got offended me. <laughs> uh, now, I mean, original screenplay and adapted Such screenplay. A dumb movie. Ups, major upsets, and I think in both of these categories. Which one? So, uh, adapted screenplay went to Jojo Rabbit, which I'm actually really happy about. Did he go up? Tiger, yeah, yeah. He did a speech. What did he say? I, I don't think I've actually... I've seen his backstage speech, which, like, w- when they win the award, they come off stage, they did have, like, a press... I think I think he solo wrote it. Bro, it's good to see him get one. Oh, he's great. Some he's key, such key a good representation. He is, man. He's um backstage speech. You got to find it. Well, he because he press press questions and stuff. That is amazing. He just like messes with all of the journalists. Oh, really? So yeah, he just takes the piss out of them. So funny. Um, I'm really happy with that. Neither of us got the tick because I went with Little Women. You went with The Irishman. Uh, and similar case with original screenplay. Uh, we both went for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And did you go with your heart on this one, or what did you... For original screenplay? Yeah, for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, I think both. Oh, no, no, definitely head for... Oh, okay. See, I did too, because it won screenplay at the Globes, I believe. Yeah, and it it just... It's Hollywood. Yeah, exactly. It's got Hollywood in the title. The... <laughs> well, shocking display. It went to Parasite, which I was so okay, well, pleasantly surprised. I'm going to wait for you to finish before I make a comment about this sort of... This year's Oscars. Okay, okay. Controversial opinion. Uh, we'll go into our four acting categories, and it, it were very. Uh, there were no surprises in this category. If you mm. followed the SAGs and the Globes and all that stuff, there were no surprises. So, Walking Phoenix for Joker and Renee Zellweger for Judy in the leading categories. Uh, so I got these both right. You, I think you went with your heart on both of these. Mm-hmm. You went with, sorry, jeez, Sersha, Sersha Ronan for Little Women. And Adam Driver for Marriage Story. So, it would have been cool to see either of them win. I would have loved to have seen either of them win. But... Bro, Adam Driver was way better. Damn. So... Then, then Joaquin. Joaquin. I mean, I think it just comes back to it's like, and I like Heath Ledger's Joker, but I feel like every single person, actor or non-actor, thinks they make a good Joker. Right. I mean, like... I mean, certainly not Jared Leto. <laughs> Everyone makes fun of him, yet every Halloween 
everyone dresses up like Joke. Every second they dude do they? dresses up. Uh, a lot of people dress up like Joker, Jake. Come on. What, you mean the like Jared Leto version? Oh, no, not the Leto. Oh, no. I was going to say. Definitely what, the Ledger and definitely going to uh, be the yeah, Joaquin yeah. one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're all like, everyone thinks they look so cool <laughs> and they're so edgy. <laughs> And the reality is, you just look like a moppet. Like you look like a clown. You see moppet a lot. Societal clown. <laughs> it's my word of the week. Word of the week. Um, all right. Well, I mean, I'm not. I'm not upset about any of these, but I think I think Renee Zellweger for Judy. I think even though she has sort of had it in the bag, but I was like, I would have liked to have seen a bit of competition, a bit of a nice. No, nah, there's enough surprises that. for an Oscars. Right. Oscars for don't this year. No, I feel too that. progressive. They want to be. Enough right, to leave right. the audience feel like they're growing. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I'm like, I've got a comment. I know, I know, I know. All right, well, for supporting, uh, we both were on the money with this. Brad Pitt for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Laura Dern for Marriage Story. We both got both points for that one. Uh, now here we go, Zeke. We were both really thrown for a loop in this, in the directing and the best picture cat. Okay. We both went for Sam Mendes for directing, directing. And everything led up to Sam Mendes winning Best Direction mm-hmm. with the situation of him. I think, I can't remember which award show, but he did tie with Bon Joon-ho at one other award okay. show. They did tie for Best Director. But then Bon Joon-ho won the award. And when I saw that, because I tried to watch the Oscars live, I made a boo-boo with my VPN network situation, so I had to sort of track it. Me and Mel sitting together and tracked mm-hmm. like live online what the winners are. When I saw Bon Joon Ho's name for direction, I like freaked. I was like, "Holy shit!" Yeah, like that's insane. And his speech—you got to watch his specifically his direction speech for the Oscars. That might be one of the best yeah, Oscar he, speeches cause ever because he, he had to get up. There he a did few a lot times. of speeches <laughs> that night, but um, that was a shock to me. We both we both went with Sam Mendes. We lost. I'm kind of glad I lost this category. Oh yeah, for sure. And um, for Best Picture, I'm also glad that I lost because I went for 1917. You went for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. We both used our heads for this one. Yeah. And, uh, of course, I went to Parasite, which I couldn't be more happy about that result. But that was it. Our, before you get into your comment, whatever that may be, our final scores, uh, which they're kind of quite deviated apart now that we just went through mm-hmm. it and we got a lot right, a lot wrong. You got seven out of twenty-four categories correct. Mm-hmm. Seems a little low, but I guess it's technically correct. And I got fourteen out of twenty-four well, categories. Passed. I passed. Passed. Yeah, I got I got past fifty percent. <laughs> but but again, I did a lot of research and followed all the awards shows, so I did have that edge and like the acting categories. I knew they were locked in. So yeah, I think like it's tough to predict. I would. I feel like so my thing with the Oscars with this year mm. is a, there's been a lot of. Uh, positive public uh, reception to Parasite winning. Now, my my thing comes with uh, this sort of weird, uh, like, and I I think the film in the in the films that it was going up against, I do think Parasite was the best film in that category. Of for best picture, yes, mm. absolutely, I agree with you. And I do probably think he probably had the best direction in hindsight mm. out of the directors. Um, but I still, I think, um, a lot of the positive, re- like, I, I just look at the way media represented the Oscars prior to the Oscars right. and then post Oscars and everyone was, everyone was always, everyone was very quick to jump on the, oh, Parasite deserved it the whole time, even though 
prior to the fact, before the pre-Oscars, there were people like you mm. who wanted Parasite. You vocalised that you wanted Parasite to win prior to, but you were in the minority, Jake, because am I in the minority though? Well, you were in the minority of people that vocalised that they wanted it, like they wanted it to win, or it was maybe they wanted it to win, but they didn't expect it to win. Right. And I feel like there I was don't a- think anyone like was like, oh, has it in the bag. I don't think anyone thought that. Oh, no one thought that. Because it's an upset for sure, yeah. Oh, for sure, yeah, yeah. My thing is, as a result of the upset occurring, I, I always get annoyed when the media goes, oh, yeah, I totally saw that coming. Yeah, it's so great <laughs> that this foreign film, you know, it's like the first one in 92 years, and it's like, wow, it took 92... That was my yeah, thing. It the did reaction. take 92 years, yeah. 92 years. 92 For a non-English years. film to win Best Picture, It's yeah. like... Are you taking the... Fi- it just feels like... Maybe it's just past the point. I mean, at the end of the day, there's a lot of uh, political stuff with the Oscars. It's an actor's union vote. There's a lot of stipulations to what there's, makes yeah. you an Oscar member. Uh, a lot of things that people don't know, the actual right. logistics of how the Oscars work. In terms of their promotional campaigns and getting films in certain categories and all that stuff. The reality yeah. is, the reason why it took a 92 years, Jake, is because... The Oscars is this sort of like self-promotion club because it's an mm. actors' union guild award. It's just the most well-known one. <laughs> it's it's a bunch of previous actors, which is why a majority of the people that vote in the Oscars are, well, for the last ninety years, have generally been old white men because <laughs> for the longest time, white men were the predominant. Like group in in acting in right. Hollywood. Well, and, we should clarify that actors vote for the acting category. There are directors and editors and costume. There are other people yeah. in the in the academy. But a lot but, of yeah. them for the, like the last ninety years have been white men. Like <laughs> it's just that's and that's not like so that was just the way the world was. But that's the thing. We're seeing that change only in the last few years. We've seen more diversity in the actual academy members. Yeah, and apparently uh, it's also grown exponentially. There's actually absolutely. way more members now than there were ten years and ago. And people. People have to uh, now re sort of re um, renew their membership by participating in the community. So, mm-hmm. for an example, Meatloaf is a part of the Acting Academy. Wait, what? Like he's in who's the, Meatloaf? Meatloaf, like the musician. Bro, oh. yeah, never heard of Meatloaf. Okay, well he's a musician. I thought you were talking about food. No, no. no. <laughs> Surprise. Okay, well I know the audience. This piece of food is in the Academy. He's a rock star. Okay, okay, okay. I'm really surprised Am I this heard. out of touch? Um, I'll play you a song in the yeah, break. I don't you know what Meatloaf is. All right. Anyway, he's an actor. <laughs> he's a and he he made a movie twenty or so years ago, and it got okay. him in the Academy. But the reality is, it's like I mean, you've never even heard of him, and he's like a middle-aged rock singer. Like that's and he votes for who wins actors. Awards. I think I think as long as people know, you're right. How the Academy works, it's not just like some one individual. But it's, it's very people... specific Hollywood people. Uh, dictating what what they've seen, and we know they haven't seen most of the bloody. But films nine times out of ten, people who watch the Oscars don't know how the Oscars actually work. They just think it's a. They don't know how the voting works, right. and, the, and the sort of that's why the political landscape is sort of like has been like at least up until recent memory was so whitewashed with very generic sort of films and predominantly right. and English. And it still speaking. is for a lot of cases. Oh, yeah, I mean, all... this year is stronger than. <laughs> Most years, I think, oh, this in, is a in step, other cases. But it's yeah. a step forward in some categories, but then a step back in other categories. Right. You know, like, it comes back to things like American Factory, which, I'm sorry, factually was not a better documentary than Honeyland. 
Yeah, but, but the, the now excessive... we're getting into the fact that like thousands of people voting on their opinions, and a lot of them haven't. They probably didn't see Honeyland. They saw American Factory because it's it's on Netflix. It's easier to watch. Comes back to why do they have the right to vote then? <laughs> but that no, but that's the thing, you know. And it's it's like I agree that this it would be nice to have stricter relegations. Like, oh, they need to watch all these films in this category before they vote, but you can't really enforce that, which sucks, you know. And there there is a lot of issues with it. You probably could have. If they were announced with a big enough win, I mean, what's the what's the window for between announcing and the award ceremony? Uh, I think it was a little shorter this year, but it was like three or four weeks. Yeah, it's, if they extended that maybe to a couple months, like you like announced it in January, but the awards weren't until April of the. That but year. I don't think that's going to help. I think people are just too lazy to watch all these films. A lot of people just don't care enough. Yeah, but if you they increase wanna... the regulation and increase the window, you might potentially. Yeah. Well, yeah. look, I, look, I don't know. This, I mean, this is the kind of conversation I'm sure people have had for years because the Oscars haven't really gotten around this That's true. thing. I think, I think the big win here is the fact, obviously, this film is now... I mean, there's there's a lot of records around of people, like, all of a sudden, the, the hype for this film has jumped. Like, even Hoyts are now doing their screenings for it. I've heard of, like, libraries... to the party. I can't remember which states in the US. There are certain states where their library orders for Parasite are, like, in the mm-hmm. near thousands of renting that film now, which is awesome. Oh, it's good for the publicity. On the on the flip side, you have fan base up the road who they still can't get people to rent this film because a lot of them are, oh I'll wait till the English remake because yeah. people still like that. I was just saying, but I guess the highlight well, is just that people then will watch one foreign film and then they think they're cultured because they've watched one foreign <laughs> film, which leads to that sort of argument of like oh look you're even filmmakers like filmmakers we know it's going to be the one foreign film they watch and right. then they'll go back to watching things like birds of prey and stuff like well, that well i mean the fact of the matter is like this can't be a bad thing because this isn't going to make people who watch foreign films watch less foreign films all it's going to do is potentially make people watch more foreign films in addition to that that's a very half glass full there jake and i'm really happy well, you what, do you <laughs> <laughs> what do you want what do you to be like... cynical and angry oh goodness <laughs> Look, it's a win. This is a win. Yes. Like, this is... It's, first off, it's telling other countries, ours included, mm-hmm. that we do have a chance of getting this kind of notoriety on our own films. The people like Bong Joon-ho, and this is like his seventh or eighth film. He's made many films already leading up like, to this. I'd watched one of his films before and not even registered it was his film. Well, the Snowpiercer? Yes. Well, that's the thing. It's just like... I don't know. I, I, just, I don't see how there's a negative in this situation, frankly. I don't think there is. Because the alternative is, like, giving it to something like... I mean, there's other films I would have loved to have seen Jojo Rabbit or, you know, Marriage Story or Once Upon a Time in Hollywood win. But it's like, you know, you see what happened last year with Green Book, which in this case would have been, I guess, the Ford v. Ferrari of the lot. Maybe even Joker. I I know that a lot of people wouldn't have been happy if Joker won. (laughs) Yeah, oh, for sure. I mean, I forget Green Book was only a year ago. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I, I think ultimately this is a win, and this is... it. It shows... There is growth. You know, we make fun of it. Like, oh, look, they're woke now. We've we've cured racism. But, you know, a step in the right direction is a step in the right direction. And I think it's good that more films are now getting recognised in this way. Well, we don't know yet if it's a step. Let's treat it as if it's a, a step, but it could just be an outlier. Let's, it probably let's... will still be an outlier. There's no doubt. I mean, but, I mean, at the end of the day, if it takes two or three years to get another one, that's not 92 years. It's only two or three years now, you know, to wait to get another <laughs> parasite to win, you right. know. You know what I'm saying? So that still would be a step forward, not so much an outlier at that point. And I don't think at the end of the day, we shouldn't be picking a foreign film 
because it's a foreign film, we should be picking it because it was the best film of the year. Exactly. And it's recognised as the best in film. In this of the year. case, I think. In that you category, can say the for best sure. film won Best Picture, yeah. finally. <laughs> I mean, we talked about some of the snubs. Like, you said the fact that Portrait's not on there at all. Exactly, yeah. But again, like I I can understand why people wouldn't like Portrait. Portrait's in that Roma scale, where I can see people watching and be like, oh, it's boring. At least Roma got recognised. Roma did get recognised, but what my point is, Roma probably lost in the preferential ballot because a lot of people would be like, ugh, put it at number seven because it's not in English. While this film bypassed that, I think a lot of people did put it in its ones and twos. Mm. And that's how I would have won, I guess. Okay. Well, fair enough. Right, well, but, speaking yeah. of which... <laughs> Jake, speaking of Parasite... what are we watching this week? Well, we figured... <laughs> this week, we're watching Parasite. What? It's okay. It's okay. Greed and class discrimination threaten the newly formed symbiotic relationship of the wealthy Park family and the destitute Kim clan. Mm, This film was released on the 15th of June in Australia. Yeah, we've had it for a long time here. so I guess it sort of makes sense. We tend to get a lot of the the oriental sort of films. I think Mad Men just really jumped on this film very early. And it's still at I Luna. actually noticed that on your <laughs> Blu-ray that you lent me. Yes. Because um, I watched it on Blu-ray. You've watched it. I watched it twice in a cinema. Okay. And I've rewatched the Blu-ray a few times. Okay. So, and um, yeah, Mad Men's doing that thing where it's like showcasing all of its winning films yeah, that yeah. it's got. Um, and it's funny because I've watched a couple of them and there were a couple I've been intending to watch, like Blackfish, which was on the DVD. Okay. Yeah. Um, which I heard is a documentary about a killer whale. Anyway, that was a tangent, but... Um, yeah, this film... A tangent on this show? <laughs> I well, never... I actually think we're pretty good with our tangents. We, we're good, we're good. Um, way better than <laughs> the Blue Velvet of old, but this oh, film was obviously directed by Bon Joon Ho. Mm-hmm. Um, He's very famous now. Yeah. If he wasn't before, definitely now. <laughs> um, you've actually caught a lot more of his films in the last... Day. <laughs> <laughs> so, yesterday, or the, over the weekend, I watched... Uh, the Housemaid, which is a 1960s South Korean film that inspired Parasite. Okay. And you can actually find that on YouTube. Uh, it was restored by the World Cinema Foundation, Scorsese's own preservation of film society sort of thing. Really cool. But check that out as what well. What a champion he is. He is a good boy. <laughs> we should have him on the show one day, Zeke. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll give Martin a, a call. <laughs> give a cheeky text. Um, but then yesterday, I watched Memories of Murder and The Host, which are two very successful films of his... That he did earlier in his career. I think that was... uh, Memories of Murder was 2003, and The Host was 2006, which was his monster movie. And both very well reviewed. I didn't get a chance to watch Snowpiercer this morning. I wanted to, but I had to write a million notes for this film. Well, I can help you fill in the blanks, because that's the only one I've watched from him other than this film. I watched Snowpiercer probably mid-last year. Oh, there you go. So, um, I know you were a fan of it. You didn't like the ending so much. Yeah, the ending sucked. Uh, I'm sorry. I'll watch it tonight. I'll watch it tonight. Very much like the first half, maybe even the first two-thirds like i was sitting on like an eight out of ten up until okay. the ending and then the ending just was like oh it got rocket manned it rocket manned <laughs> out of there rocket manned out last of 20 there. minutes i was like why basically yeah, i mean like it's a and it's a quite western it's quite a strong western cast it's definitely his most western film um because obviously it's got chris evans at the head uh it's got ed harris in it uh tilda swinton and song kang ho's in it as well 
who's the dad in this film. Whoa, That's yeah, he him. is. He's actually in most of, of Bond's films because he's also in Memories of Memories of Murder and I think the he's host. got long hair, and that's why I didn't register in yeah. Snowpiercer. He's he's well, a bit you, of a. You just wouldn't have known. And him yeah, then. he's a bit of a. Yeah, I know, but like even facial. Oh right, even uh, now, like, like facial recognition. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, yeah, he, obviously, he's not as important in that film as he is. I think in. I mean, he's way more critical in Parasite than he yeah. is in, in And even in those other two films I mentioned, he's the he is like the main character, or at least mm. in the top two or three main characters. It's definitely a cool concept, Snowpiercer. Um, I think both... He's seen uh, from the two films I've watched, and I don't know if you can concur with the two other right, ones two you've watched. I've seen, which uh, were much earlier in his career. Um, he actually really does like limiting his locations. Pretty... pretty well, yeah, least, yeah. Like they're pretty... Parasite as well, that's true. Like, Parasite is kind of conformed to only three locations, three or four locations with a cupola, like... Yeah, if you include the street that connects to the Kim's house, they're really mm. only two locations. Yeah. And maybe the car. The oh, car yeah, has and enough. driving around in the car, obviously, yeah. yeah. But, like, right, you can do that in a green screen studio. <laughs> uh, no, but you're exactly right. Very minimal locations. I... I would say the two that I saw do not confine to this rule. I think Memories of Murder, which is a detective story, very Seven-esque, and uh, The Host, which is a monster film where there's a lot of underground sewers mm. running in the streets and quarantine tents. So I would say the two that I saw, a lot of locations. Okay. Unlike Parasite and... Snowpiercer. Um, yeah. I mean, Snowpiercer is all confined to a train. Okay, so there so you go. So a set of rooms, really. Yeah. And which, from a, like, it's a, it would obviously come off as a cheaper pitch because essentially... A, most of it's shot in a studio. Yeah. Obviously. Well, it's fascinating because you would think later on in his year, this is like his seventh film, I think, that he would be using more locations the further into his Perhaps career. Perhaps it's a got. maturity thing. Like yeah, He's accepted maybe. the fact that he only needs a couple of locations to tell his story. Mm. Um, I really I mean, appreciate like his, that. His, and particularly with Parasite, the locations are very elaborate and mm. very uh, distinguished from one another. <laughs> Just a little bit. It's the same thing as Snowpiercer too. He just, I mean, he clearly likes talking about the class differentiation concept. Mm. I mean, the whole purpose in Snowpiercer is literally the line fight to the front, poor people at the back, right, rich yeah. people at the front. Very yeah. clear sort of visual. Yeah. Motif, so, yeah, it's hugely visual. Yeah, um, I'm keen to see it tonight. I'm really. Am. I think there's an in- an intelligence with Parasite that Snowpiercer. Ironically, you were talking about that in the first half of the show how there mm. will be an English adaptation of Parasite. Yes, we'll talk about it pretty soon, but they are planning that, yes. And I would honestly just say watch Snowpiercer. There's <laughs> enough there to, like... That is the English adaptation? Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, Chris Evans is still very American. He's like, <laughs> yeah, got to fight to the front. And then Ed Harris is, like, the bad guy because he's Ed Harris, so... Right, right. Um, That's great. I think there's enough there. I think there's enough similarity. It's class differentiation too, and it's some people are more equal than others, which is sort of the yeah. Similar, I, I've similar. heard that definitely the further into the Bon Joon Ho's career, the more he started focusing on class different. Because I didn't get a lot of that in the host or Memories of Murder. Those were very much they were kind of genre films. It could, it could do a lot with like himself too. I don't know a lot about his personal yeah. life. Perhaps he started on at one end of the spectrum, and obviously now he's right. on the other end of the spectrum. Yeah, you would hope so. <laughs> Um, I can't imagine him in the in the Kim's house after these uh, yes. accolades, if you will. So perhaps <laughs> this has come from his sort of, maybe his mm. like 
opening his own eyes and not being so absolutely narrow-minded to that stuff, which often I feel like a lot of Hollywood, obviously, they're in their own world. I mean, Ricky Gervais right. made a joke of it at the Globes, right? Right, yeah. How, get up there, get your award, stop pretending like you guys can talk about the world because yeah. you guys Most can't. Most of you didn't go to school. Or so. Yes. <laughs> it's pretty funny. It was pretty Whereas funny. someone like Monjuho probably actually had to push very hard to get right, this. So he's yeah. probably... I don't know. No, that's me just speculating. No, I think you're completely... Because Hollywood and South Korea are two very different places culturally. Absolutely. So <laughs> so you're I, probably right. I feel like his social commentary is justified, whereas mm. some people... I've always found with social commentary films, if they don't come from a place of grounded realism, they often are romanticised, I guess. It's, yeah. It comes back to like even things like the music biopic. They always talk about, oh, look at these musicians having such a hard life. And it's like... After and those 20s. stories are being told by directors who probably had no experience of that in real yeah. life. Yeah, no, I, I get you completely. Yeah. And I think if you go on the Parasite Wikipedia page, I actually think there is a little blurb about Bon Joon-ho's like, personal inspirations for mm-hmm. him. I didn't read it too well, but you might be on the money. I think there is sort of a personal touch to the, the, the haves and have-nots. Well, you wouldn't be continually coming back to similar sort of story mm. beats in different, I admit, in different aesthetical environments. Like, obviously, Snowpiercer yep. is based off a book. Okay, I'm I didn't sure, know that. I'm sure it's based off a book. I have to double check that right. one. But um, yeah, like it's obviously, but it's got very much. It's very well. It's more fictionalized. Mm. It's sort of got more in the Hunger Games sort yeah. of class differentiation. Well, whereas Parasite's very domestic. Oh, it's it's reality. Yeah, <laughs> it's the reality. Of the world. And I said this to you before the show recording. Yeah. This film, I actually had a thought pattern about this that. I think this, like, well, after finishing watching the film, I was like, this story couldn't be told in America, mm. at least not to the same success of the message getting across. In terms of the detail and well, the specifics of the plot, I guess. Well, yeah, I mean, you would have to retcon a couple of those because if you re- if you directly copy-pasted this script into an American society, it wouldn't work. It wouldn't translate at all aspects. No. I mean, um, critical plot points. Mm are solely dependent on the fact that it's a Korea, a South Korean-based film. Yeah. Um, I think we should just say it off the bat, this film, spoilers from now on, go in yeah. as blind as you can, because I went in knowing virtually nothing. Same. You, yeah, cool, perfect. So, um, yeah, from now on, I just knew watch there was, the movie. there was one thing, and if we're talking okay. about spoilers... All right, well, now, spoiler-free, turn off the podcast, watch the film, come back. Yeah. Zeke, go. I mean, you had a week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've had one week. I, got, I heard there was a drop kick. <laughs> Like a drop a, kick? A drop kick with stairs. But it wasn't oh. a drop kick. And I was really disappointed. I wanted to see a drop yeah, kick. Yeah, it wasn't like... Actually, you know what? Watch Memories of Murder, because there was plenty of real drop kicks in that film. There's drop... You know the funny thing? Kicks. And he has, there's drop kicks in Snowpiercer, so maybe he just really likes he drop kicks. He loves snow and kicking people down stairs. But the, the chick doesn't kick him. She nudges him. Her. She nudges her No, down. it is... It, she does use a leg. Does she? Just a little, like... She lifts her leg... It's not like an actual flight. Oh, I thought it was like an elbow. No, it's very like because it's a wide angle, but it is like a little kick I, leg thing. Maybe I must have missed the kick because I swear it was like an elbow down the stairs. No, like a palm off. Because she's carrying the food. Well, that's what I thought. Like she like whipped her body in a way that no, knocked no. her down the stairs. Ah, uh, okay. But <laughs> so <laughs> that's the one spoiler you had is someone gets kicked downstairs. Yeah, it was. It was not what I thought it would be. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Even the way you described it, was like it's a, not like a yeah. noxious drop kick. Like it, they both her legs are up and she just like you get <laughs> you get more of that memories of murder. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> you get that very clearly in Snowpiercer. There's a whole scene where I pretty, if I remember correctly, like they're like running and there's this big fight, and then yeah. one of them just goes like full drop kick, and I was like, <laughs> he must really like it's like a WWE move, it's right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just looks. <laughs> It looks it just looks weird and I was like now we're I... picturing the film with the, the a proper <laughs> drop kick where she but, like she throws the food in the air and does like a wah turns around and everything I actually okay that's great alright <laughs> so was I was one. fearful going into this film that the hype train had was too high bloated this film yep which does happen I mean I think everyone was so disappointed with things like the Kingsman sequel because of the pleasant surprise that was the original Kingsman. Yeah, yep, absolutely. When the reality was Kingsman 2 wasn't much different to Kingsman 1. It was just how low the expectation was going into Kingsman. Everyone walked out of Kingsman going, like, they did the Birds of Prey thing. Right, like, okay. which, which was your reaction to Birds of Prey. And, Being and like, Jack's. oh, that wasn't horrible. Yeah. So thus it must be, I feel like, yeah, it's it's very easy to, like, I, and with everyone, every single person that saw this film was like, this was the best film last year. And I mean... I'm always suspect when I hear that from most people because I'm like, right. yeah, but how many films have you watched from this year? Right, it's That's hard to get that number. outside of Netflix or Stan or a streaming service. Or Avengers Endgame, yeah. Yeah, or, or yeah, a, a Marvel Disney buy And I, I've seen people put Avengers Endgame above Parasite in their top 10 films of the year and they're not film goers per se, but like I've seen it happens. But so anyway, anyway. I get, I get frustrated because, yeah, it comes back to the thing where it's like, a lot of these people, they don't watch a lot of foreign cinema, so of mm. course the one foreign film they watch, it's because I, I actually thought that with like, like with Roma, I don't think Roma got nearly as much of this sort of flatulation. definitely not this much praise and and universal uh, acclaim. I think in a quiet film community, everyone liked Roma, but it it wasn't like the same sort of like yeah. Roma is the best film of last year. Like um, everyone I've talked to in the last few weeks they know about Parasite they like the opening dialogue with anyone who watches films now oh my god it's so happy the Parasite we we went to a party on Saturday and everyone's talking about Parasite I was like what What? what's going on so I was worried didn't happen for Omar I was happy to say that I enjoyed the film um yay I didn't (laughs) (laughs) I didn't think it was my favourite film of last year I still stand by Pain and Glory being my favourite film of last year Pain and Glory is an excellent film and probably even Honeyland, I think I enjoyed more if we're caught Whoa, talking about Ducky. Okay. At me, bro. <laughs> um, at, I don't have to. You're right there. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I think so. I think, yeah, I think... But you can understand where the praise sort of comes Absolutely. from. Absolutely, of course. Yeah. Of course. I mean, I'm, I'm picking two other foreign films here. Like, I'm not... I'm I will not... <laughs> I will admit that my top three favourite films of last year, none of them are in English. Yeah. So, so there uh, you go. You know, and <laughs> I actually think maybe I probably enjoyed, like, as, like... If we're talking about the study of film or the enjoyment of film, I think I might have enjoyed Irishman's view viewing and Marriage Stories viewing more than Parasite's uh, okay. viewing. Okay, but you saw them both. Oh no, sorry, you saw Irishman in the theater. Yeah. So we saw. That. Okay, so Marriage Story, you would have the same conditions as Parasite. Yeah, and I That's think I enjoyed. I think I enjoyed Marriage Story more. Okay. Um, so but it it comes back to this, like what's the film saying how the film like yeah from a technical standpoint the film's flawless it's exactly what it, like it's it pretty kind of is flawless yeah <laughs> it really um, is. i think the only thing i'm really not a huge fan of is probably the score whoa i don't i just didn't st- it didn't resonate with me the sc- uh, I love the score, man. Okay, let's. Well, uh, I think like that's the little the piano thing. melodies. Yeah, yeah. I just doesn't doesn't work for me. I love how um bloated it is when when the father finds the panties in the car. 
Like the score is like obnoxiously loud in that scene. I kind of love it. I think that's it. Maybe <laughs> the mixing's a bit weird. It feels off right. for me. Like okay. Um, I think there are some musical moments I really like, like the montage of them invading the household. Oh my god, the that's peach a good. Montage, that's yeah. a good melody. But the rest of it, nah, just didn't stick with me. Okay, that's um, fair enough. It was probably the, the only real deductions. I the acting's pretty amazing. The acting's incredible. Yeah. Um, I think the acting. There's nothing fault. Everyone was cast correctly. Mm. So like everything I liked about it. Um, particularly the uh, Kim household. If I'm correct, yeah, um, their well, the, the family poor, the casting, poor family. Yeah, yeah, the poor family is cast pretty, pretty bang on the money. Um, yeah, like the like the sister character, or um, I think it's King John or Jessica, yes. as they call her, is she's just very lovable. Yeah, you have to bear with me. I'm probably going to use Kevin uh, and Jessica. More. Yeah, I wrote, I wrote, <laughs> I did a little um, table grid here simply because they're referred oh, to. Actually, it the here most... you go. I'll give you the printed. Oh, thank you. There you go. So now you. you have the actors, the characters, and their role in each subsequent family. Because I know that their surnames go first, and then yeah, I only realized that too. That um, Kim and Park, their actual names, they start with Kim and Park. Ooh, I might have. Oh no, I stuffed up. Um, the Park Mother. I put the actress's name in both categories. It's okay. Oh no, we'll we'll survive. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. Like I think the casting was bang on. I think mm. that's the only thing I I really didn't enjoy was probably the music score. Uh, I can I think... live with that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank I, you. I bless you, Zeke. It's um, okay. <laughs> I think like you really enjoyed the editing. I didn't think the editing was like. It wasn't nothing wrong with it. It right. just wasn't like a thing that. Okay. I noted. You still would have went with Irishman in your edit category yeah I guess. okay irishman's like the flow of irishman is so right, good right. but you gotta think i filmed three and a half hours long and it doesn't fit we we talked about it in our review yeah 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 i it don't think it's, there's literally nothing i'd take out maybe there was one maybe scene, the we nomi- scene we nominated one maybe. scene <laughs> in three and a half the hours fish down, that's but, pretty yeah. amazing yeah um, I'll, I'll give you that and and i will say from the as much as i think the editing is phenomenal in this film and i mean we're both editors so we'll know this yeah. stuff but um, I would say that you can clearly tell from the coverage in this film that Bon Joon Ho is very has very particular coverage. So the editor wouldn't have a, a lot of room to play with. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of direction leading I into think clever editing. My favorite thing from this film is it probably has the best pacing of a film last year. Mm. Oh my god, um, that second act, man! I think, and the funniest thing is, so I sat down and I watched it. Yeah. And about halfway through, I got hungry. So I was like, and I was watching it and I stopped on a scene where the uh, the Kim household is sitting in the empty rich household eating dinner. Right. And I literally said to myself, pause moment. Yeah. and I said to myself, I went, I think this is the midpoint in this film. Mm. And I pause it. And what do I see? It's a bang on the middle. Exactly. <laughs> and not only is it bang on the middle, the twist that obviously happens in that scene takes place at exactly page 71 on the script, the exact halfway point yeah. in the script. So very intentional pickup. Yeah, so I just, I, I was like, wow, this, this, the, the story is so clearly paced in the perfect, every bit of information is revealed at the correct amount of time, so mm. its payoff gets justified at the right time. It feels like a science, this film, more than right. a film. It feels like everything is immaculately put at points just hit the beats like it if 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 a film is a song this hits beat for beat perfectly <laughs> it just does I, I agree with you structurally it's very it's weird because like to call this film like like you say mathematically very like pinpoint pacing yeah 
but it feels so smooth. It's so butter smooth. Well, that's probably why it feels so yeah. smooth because it's it essentially is just running the ones and zeros. It hits the point mm. at exactly it needs to hit it every single time. It gets to that point where it's like, yeah, it, it does feel potentially like a science or a structure. Yeah. Of capitalism. (laughs) (laughs) Capitalism. I just want to say, before we, during our little ad break, I like to think that when our ads, like the trailer plays for the movie, that the conversations we have actually just play under the trailer, like a proper radio station. But you were looking up some of the negative Rotten Tomato reviews. So this is sitting on 99% 99. Rotten Tomatoes and has currently got five negative (laughs) critical reviews. Now, I didn't read, obviously, full reviews, but everyone, the like, they've yeah. got like the little like speech box next to the critic, and one I, of made, the, I made a joke that they were all just going to be based on oh capitalism. Bro. They essentially were, yeah. <laughs> and then there were people that would just be like they throw. It's kind of when a uni student tries to sound smart in an essay, gotcha. so they just throw all the really big words in like one. The, the ten dollar words you said, yeah, yeah, the ten dollar words, <laughs> and like yeah, they just like there was this one chick who just threw like. Ideologies, conscientious capitalism, all in one. Yeah, d- yeah. And I was like, "What you're saying doesn't make sense." <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I actually do want to speak to that in terms of its messaging, and I think it's beautifully done because you said this to me. We haven't talked about this film in detail yet. You only saw mm. it recently, <clears throat> and we we talked maybe five minutes before we started recording. But one yeah. of the things we talked about is you said it's a very accessible film, in the fact that you don't you don't need to be able to read too super deep into it, understand its messaging. Like it's mm. very clearly, you know, about these two families, the, the, um, yeah, the haves it, and have nots. I think what I like about this and Snowpiercer, and I think Snowpiercer dips it in the last 20, mm. um, where this one does not. Um, it, it's so, I don't want to say on the surface is the wrong expression. Cause that makes it sound shallow, but it's digestible. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, like it's, it doesn't. You very quickly forget you're watching a film that, unless you're Korean, or um, you obviously won't understand exactly what's coming out. You're reading subtitles. Mm. Yeah, there's always that like, oh my, the translation I'm reading is it accurate? And I mean, of course yeah. it is. But like, um, well, it's as accurate as it can be with our language. Yeah, yeah. exactly. There, obviously, with there are words and expressions that don't. Come I know. Over. Is it Ram Don the the dish that she has to make? Yes. I remember. I don't remember exactly what it was. There's, there was some sort of translation issue with that that they had to address while shooting mm. the film. Like, oh, they say okay too in the film, which I thought was interesting. Could they maybe they don't have a oh, word in Korean in, in for English? Okay. Yes, right. Okay, um, I do notice that, and like even when the mum's like, "Oh, is that okay with you?" I know that's like a you're meant to be an English tutor, kind of dab, uh, uh, dab. Um, but even the characters yeah, that don't yeah, speak sorry. like English for like they, I think okay might not be a word. I might be it's wrong. It's even maybe like when we say capiche. Yeah. It's just sort of that weird translation that we like to say in different ways. It just language. ends up becoming like a universal word. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I found that interesting too. So, yeah. yeah. I But yeah, it is. You, you very quickly... Because at the end of the day, what it is, is it's a bunch of unemployed people trying to get employed and they're mm. using any mes- means necessary to become employed. I love it so much. Um, <laughs> and that's that's the surface level story. Yeah. Like, And that's, you know, for a lot of people... Like, I feel like with the surface level story, if you can get from A to B with no issues, you're doing a really good job mm-hmm. of the story. Obviously, there are there are layers to the story that, you know, make this film a very good academic film on top of being a, a digestible and enjoyable yeah, watch. Like and a that's, fun watch, yeah. What's well, two sides of this, like the same? It's like, you know, we take 
And Bon Joon Ho has mm. talked a lot about being influenced a lot by Scorsese, correct? Or he's definitely um, paid he, at least. He lot. talked about Scorsese at his direction Oscar win. So there's okay. definitely a Scorseseism in his filmmaking. Okay, and let's take a film that Scorsese does that, like Goodfellas, yep. which a lot of people watch Goodfellas, mm. and it's a very surface level enjoyable film. Um, there's probably stuff in there and academia and stuff you could dive into. Yeah. But really, it's it's you know it's it's sort of like that and like things like Wolf of Wall Street. They're films that are enjoyable. They're very well made. They've got mm. great performances. But essentially, they're just you know they get you from A to B and they're an enjoyable experience. I think that's the great thing about Parasite is it does all that. Like there are layers that you can pin, you can pull out, and the more the more that I like, let's yeah. look at this scene. They pull back and I pull more. Wow, there is so much under the dirt, really, but you're right, on a surface level, and I think that is an accurate word you can use in this yeah. scenario, a surface level. It is a very digestible film. It's yeah. a very fun film. I mean, yeah, that's the thing. It's At the end of the day, we got to think of the, the 99% as per se, mm-hmm. you know, not to borrow like a capitalist term, yeah. but that is very much a capitalist. <laughs> so I thought you were getting it for a minute. <laughs> but like, no, general audiences, you know, Mary yeah. and Sue who go to the, you know. They Mary go and the, Sue. I don't know why I did two, yeah. Um, John and Jane. John um, and Jane. John and Bob. Um, <laughs> uh, hey. Yeah. Um, no, like they're the ones who can go to this film, still enjoy it, still understand the basic message. Mm. And then there are people like you and I who can take the basic message, but then we can look at the subtext yeah. and the context. From a and filmmaking the, standpoint, we can digest more. Which is why, like, which is ultimately what can make a film, when it has that many layers, make, that's what makes a film a masterpiece in a lot of yeah. ways. Because you can take this film and be like, hey, let's analyse the direction in this scene, or mm. let's analyse production design use in this scene, yeah. lighting in this scene, music design in this scene, sound mixing. <laughs> But that's exactly right. When you can look at all those aspects and there's always something interesting yes. under each one, then yeah, you're right. That is when you get into, is this a masterpiece? I I mean, I can't argue that it's not a masterpiece. Yeah. I didn't give it a five star on Letterboxd. Just well, I didn't. I may give it a four and a half too. Right. Yeah, yeah. We but gave it the same score. Yes. I think it's just, I, I mean, for me personally, it's like, I only give it a five star like every few years. Like, I think Her is a five-star film. I think Portrait of a Lady in Fire is a five-star. Like, random films like that, they just really personally touch me. Even my favourite from last year, like, Pain and Glory, I only gave four and a half. Yeah, it would yeah. Be, and it would probably be a 4.75. I could do that on a little <laughs> box. We talked about the quarter <laughs> the ratings. Quarter, the quarter star. Um, no, but I think... I think the, bring it later, box. Come on, you know you want to. The reason I thought about it, I'm like, why am I not giving this a perfect score? And I think, at first, I was like, oh, it might be the emotion. Like, there's nothing in this film that emotionally drag me through the mud like a movie like mm-hmm. her does but then again the scene with the, the flooded street is also very emotional and it's very well done in that scene so it's mm. it's hard to explain that regard i mean it's a film that i would recommend literally anyone watch that's, but that's really interesting that you got weight in that scene because okay. i didn't get too much out of that scene as compared to the previous scene when they're hiding under the dining room table uh, okay um and they're just thinking on a conversation. And on it? a conversation yep. in which they're talking about smell. Right. And smell and, comes in a lot in this film. And uh, I think um, that conversation and then the payoff of that conversation carried the most, I think, is the weightiest. I mean, at the end of the day, it's literally, we go back to pacing and, and that scientific placement of scenes. Mm. That couldn't have been identified more as a low point. The characters are literally on the floor mm. under a table. 
I mean, the vertical... Like a bug. The vertical storytelling in this film is incredible. Oh, yeah. Like, the, the higher placement, the lower placement, and obviously the rain coming from the top. I mean, top the stairwell is essential. Stairwells and going up driveways and down driveways. It's like, there's so many clever... And it's it's one of those things where it's like, it's so simple on the surface, but you forget how hard it is to execu- execute it so well. But that's what I'm saying. In a feature that's film, That's what makes yeah. this film feel like it's... It feels like a science. Yeah. It's taking, like, every obvious, like, academia of film and just shoving it into... (laughs) (laughs) And just being like, look, this is like... You want a film that can break down every facet of what makes a film good? Here it is. Yeah, yeah. No, I I really appreciated that a lot. I mean, that was one of the more obvious sort of symbolic parts of it is yeah. the rain obviously like from the from higher up it's a gorgeous sight to behold mm-hmm. and then from down low it's this nightmarish yeah. sort of occurrence and i mean i love that whole scene we'll get to it and uh, yeah. seeing highlights of course but even just like the little things i remember i didn't notice this but someone pointed this out to me very early when i watched it in november that the uh, park family never physically look downwards they never tilt their neck down because they don't look down below them, which is how the Kim family are able to hide under the table and not get caught and all this. And I was like, that's some really clever, like, mm-hmm. little sprinkles there. And there's just, there's there's tons of it. And even if you talk about the rock, mm-hmm. the rock that the sun carries around, uh, obviously he's carrying around is this sense of, oh, this will bring us wealth and mm-hmm. good fortune. And on a surface level, it's like, well, it doesn't because he ends up getting his head knocked in with, with that rock. But even if you look further in, it's like, oh, when he re- recollects it from the home that's drowning, it must be a hollow um, object because it's floating in the water. Yeah. And it's like, wow, that's like just little details like that. This is so cool. But I think we can talk about more sort of the building progression. We talked about the structure of the narrative, mm-hmm. but in terms of how each sort of family member kind of whittles their way up into the house, which... Yeah, I mean, it... It's funny because they talk about it as if there was a plan, mm. but I never got the sense there was a, a long-term plan until the plan was in motion, which was interesting. Like, I think the first mention of there being a plan was after the sister gets hired, who's the right. second hiring in the household, um, where they start to clearly formulate a direction um, As in, like, the rest of the family coming in. Yeah. I, um, I agree, because in the sense that... Like, he gets hired because of his mate. Yeah, his mate gets him that job, essentially. Yeah. But you can with him and the sister, both, you can see the moment when they when it, their head clicks. Yeah. And they're like, oh, I can get my sister on this. Yes. And then, of course, the sister, you can see the moment when she decides to plant the panties in the car. So mm-hmm. I think you're right. It's after that, that's when the plan starts becoming wider known within yeah. the family and they Cause start it's, cause, constructing Because well, it's, it. it's interesting because I always feel like the father plays it off like almost like it was his plan <laughs> for the longest point. Like, Yeah, it, I guess some, that's an ego thing maybe. Yeah, because there is a later conversation in the film between the son and the father of the Kim household where he goes, what was your plan? Right, Because yeah. you talked about the, having this plan. And he's the one that always that ends up denouncing the plan. He's yes. the one that says like, oh, don't make a plan because it won't work. Yeah. Um, which plays into the ending a bit as well. But you're right. I thought that was interesting how it's up until it's not, they're just kind of spitballing or coming up with these ideas on the spot of like, ooh, we can get this family member in and make more money doing this. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was very clever, like the each role that they take. Because I, 
I not. I will say my parents have actually done a very really similar thing. To I feel what, like a lot, the lot Kim of family has it's, done. <laughs> it's a it's a mixture of. I mean, it, it's technically on the surface mm-hmm. like you look at the title parasite and then you see these parasitic tendencies. They're yeah. leeching off the success of people that potentially were given more opportunities, but also. They're just wealthy. I mean, that's just what happens. It's how a parasite operates. So it comes back to that surface level watch, but then it also it kind of swings both ways. Yeah, exactly. Um, but and, and even the fact that the Park family they can't they can't operate on their own. They need to leech off the poorer for their services. The yes. mum can't do her own dishes. She's, yeah, oh, when she's on the road, she can't she's, cook. Yeah, she can't cook. She can't do dishes. Even the father he refuses to drive himself. Even at the very end, he refuses to drive his own son to the hospital. And, it, and but... it's little, uh, it's also like little um, nuances, like mm. the Ramdom scene where she's eight minutes away from the house and yep. uh, the mother of the Kim household yep. has never made it before in yeah. her life. <laughs> she's like, what the hell is this? But still <laughs> ends up making a really good dish because she adapts on the, the fly. Absolutely. Much like... That's clever, actually. I don't, yeah. And that's the difference of inability. It's the fact mm. that both of those characters have technically never made something before. One of them's never even heard it before, yet the one who's never heard of it before Is still able makes to it, do it in yeah. eight minutes. So that's the adaptability of the, the poor sort of situation. Yeah. I've, I Just all that stuff is so beautifully... And you're right. It's stuff that, like, you watch it and it, there's a lot of things you don't pick up. I remember the one that, when I rewatched the black and white version, and I talk about it last week, I think it adds a nice mood to it, but the colour is so gorgeous in the film. That I know, I'm very confused. You, yeah, I, I would not want to watch this in black and white. Not there's very few shots that I think serve better in black and white. The one When the, when the, the um, I don't want to call it tear gas, but you know, the, the gas comes in very early in the film. That shot looks cool when the gas is filling in on the family. That mm-hmm. looks cool in black and white, but... The colour's too good in this film. Yeah, I honestly, in hindsight, I would, yeah. like, when, after you said there's the, like, you've mentioned the black and white version a couple of times on the podcast, and, nah, I'm cool. Yeah, um, I, uh, you don't need, watch it in colour. Yeah. It's a nifty thing. I think Bon Joon-ho wanted to make it in black and white initially. I think mean, it's the only reason he was allowed to do it. Mm-hmm. But, um, I agree. I think the coloured version, it's too good. The colour's too gorgeous in this film. But, when I saw that with, with Steven, he was actually wanting to point out to me how the very first thing that the father does in the film. The first thing you see him doing is flick a stink bug on the table. Mm-hmm. And I just, I've just i seen the film many times and I never connected the fact that his ultimate arc is reacting to the smell, his own smell. Yeah. And I was like, this little thing, I'm like, man, why didn't I pick up on that? But you're right, there's so many, and then you pick up on sort of the fact that Always the family up. that aren't uh, reliant on others are able to, you know, make these things in eight minutes. They can self-rely on each other in terms of tasks. They just don't have the money to self for the self-independence that they need. I mean, it comes back to, like, exactly. They don't have the sort of innovation instinct to go beyond, like, this sort of lifestyle. I mean, mm. you think think of how they infiltrated that sort of household and that sort of, like, business, but the reality is there's a, there is a ceiling to that sort of behaviour. That yeah. can only get you so far. And this is probably... You know, th- this is the it's ironically go, yeah. at the midpoint of the film where they're supposed to be hitting their peak. Yeah. They do hit their peak. They And they don't know it's their peak. Yeah. Like they they pretend like they, they think they're oh, we practically own this house now. Yeah. When the reality of the situation very quickly they realise they don't own this house. They don't. Especially they even just like you you said I don't remember before recording mm-hmm. when we said this, but you were saying like the the ego that that family has when they've made it to the top there and they they're drinking, mm-hmm. having dinner and stuff. 
I even love like the mum's comment of like, oh, if we were this rich, of course we would be nice. And then immediately like pushes the little dog out of the way in the white shot. But just stuff like that. And you're right, they're planning for this wedding that, you know, the son's dating this girl and their family. They're like planning ways real long term mm-hmm. to work around and hire actors as like the real parents. And it's like this is insane. It's delusions of grandeur. Absolutely. Yeah. But I mean this leads us perfectly into the twist of the film. Now, I wanted, what was your, like, immediate reaction to the twist? Uh, it was actually more like, huh? And then, like... <laughs> but then it's very quickly... They justify it pretty quickly, I think. Uh, and it's totally, like, yeah, that makes sense. Like, so, th- do you want to explain the twist, or...? Um, I'm happy to do it. So, yeah. uh, we get a big montage, and it leads into the final, um, sort of, uh, swap around when they have to get the housemaid, and they make a point of being like, this housemaid has lived in this house through generations. She's been here longer than the Park family has. Mm -hmm. So when she comes back and it's all raining and they're like, what in the world is she doing? And she sneaks underground. And again, this vertical storytelling, she's going down into this this sort of cellar, this basement that the Parks were never never knew of. Mm -hmm. And she's holding her husband down there. And we learn that this husband's hiding from loan sharks. He's too much in debt to go out into the real world. So now he's literally hiding like a cockroach, like a bug, just under this family's house. And, like, this cellar is like a nuclear bombshell. Yeah. And, obviously, being South Korea, it's because of North Korean attacks. And, obviously, this thing is... uh, Immediately goes from being like, oh, this is a bit wacky, because definitely the first couple of minutes you're descending down into the... What's going on? You're a little bit like, is there some... And even when you first discover the... The husband, you're a little bit like, what is this weird sort of like, and then of course they explain very quickly that like, no, it's it's in the case of a nuclear situation. You're mm-hmm. like, oh well, that totally makes sense. And then you move past it, and then you continue with the film, <laughs> basically. <laughs> no, it's exactly right. Like once the shock of that, and I think the ending has. We'll get to the ending. There's no I way think... that would work in an America. I don't understand how it's going to be a HBO. Right. Like, I just don't. <laughs> it's going to be so dumb. You know, they're looking at Mark Ruffalo and Tilda Swinton to be in the HBO miniseries remake. Um, they get a fat paycheck. They're not going <laughs> to complain. I'm really curious about that, too. I was actually more negative about them doing it earlier, but now that this film has you know, won its Oscars and is now really well-known, I'm actually a little less disappointed with the HBO remake. Okay. Just in the sense that, okay, well, people know the source material. Mm-hmm. Like, so there is that, at least. But no, going back to the the story and that twist, I mean, it was an awesome twist because you're right, it all makes sense in the and the the script is so sort of airtight. It took a couple of watches to really pick up on everything and how much they actually focus on the architect. Like I believe his name is Namgon, who he's the famous architect who built the house, and he was mm-hmm. too ashamed to even reveal this bunker in the first place, and that's why it's a bit of a secret and <laughs> the housemate knows about it. But it was really cool how much they bring the architect, how important he is to the story and to the actual. Yeah. household itself and i i can't confirm this because i haven't had time to rewatch it mm-hmm. looking but i did a little cheeky control f search on the script mm-hmm. and none of the park family ever referred to the architect only the poor families talk about this architect as like this amazing presence this guy created this shelter for them and i thought that's a clever little yeah, that's interesting. None, none of the people who actually live in the house talk about the person who made their house i thought that was a cool so the ignorance of wealth. Yeah, and ex- they're so ignorant. About mm-hmm. the whole- they're not evil. They're kind of nice in areas, but they're super ignorant. They don't yeah. realize like how bad it is down below them. 
but I, I really like the twist, and especially because it obviously takes us to the ending with it, the guys. I, I, I don't, <laughs> it becomes kind of animalistic in that part, too. A little between, bit, yeah. Between, uh, obviously, the ex-housekeeper uh, and her husband and the Kim household. That's actually one of my favourite scenes. Is, it's savage, yeah. really. Like, she <laughs> goes from begging to when she... When the uh, house... They're revealed, the ex, yeah. Yeah, when they're revealed, suddenly cocky and nefarious and there's <laughs> a video on the phone yeah it, <laughs> and it's uh, it leads to that incredibly like savage fight uh, uh, i love uh, the um the i was i was re-watching parts of this today to prep for it and that scene in particular when they're fighting over the phone mm-hmm. um after everyone's been out sort of thing i was watching the camera movements particularly and i don't know i mean it, it's just it was a fun camera like even mm. when when the daughter grabs the peaches and like chucks it over her face, like the yeah. camera's just rotating above her head, and it's just fun little like it keeps the energy going. But it's like it's just it was just super fun. I so, mean, you're yeah. not really rooting for anyone in that scene. Not really, but you're, you're still like, uncomfortable by the fact that you know that the uh, park household's coming back. Yeah, yeah, especially yeah. that phone call, and they're like, "Oh God." Yeah, just that's why I think it's one of my favorite second acts of any film. And if you start it, you might be able to start it after the panties are dropped because that's the first time. We as an audience know we understand what they're trying to do. Trying at this to point. do, yeah. Um, you can make an argument. It starts once the other family have gone to their camping trip. Maybe I like to think it's it's in the car scene. I think that's the act switch, hmm. and then all the way to them sleeping in the gym after all the the flooding's gone. I mean, I think that is the second act of this film, and it's one of my favorite second acts of all time. Yeah, I mean because, that sort of makes sense. Yeah, the gym would be the low point. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's about yeah. right. But um, just the way it flows from... Because you're right, it goes back to the lack of locations. You forget that, like, man, that was like a 40-minute chunk of this film just in this house. Yeah. And not, there's no, like, cutting away or anything. It's just a 40-minute straight real-time situation of them mm-hmm. discovering the bunker, fighting over the phone, and then the Park family coming back. Yeah. And they talk about the ghosts. <laughs> the, Which the, ends up being the... Uh, the yeah, bloke. that yeah. guy. But, um, He's a creepy boy. Oh my god, that, boy. that shot of his head coming out. <laughs> oh god, cheeky Jake. Dude, I'd screaming. be, I'd be like, I'd be a scarred kid if that was. You, like... you would also have um, uh, what's it called, a seizure. <laughs> so is that what the kid's drawing? Is he drawing the man? I think yeah. I haven't checked, but if you go back and look at the drawing, I guess I'm imagining it would be. Actually, yeah, because that's in the trailer when when he's first introduced to the the drawings, mm. and he's like, "Oh, it's a chimpanzee," and she's like, "No, it's a self portrait." <laughs> that's in the trailer that moment. Um, so if you look at it through that, you might be able to tell it's yeah. it might be that man. Interesting. But um, yeah, yeah. I guess we can talk about the ending because so here I'm curious. Did you like the ending of this film? Um, because me and Jack have a bet <laughs> that I like it or hate it. Uh, I'll bet was that it was going to be the only thing you didn't like about this film. It was fine. I didn't think okay. it was like, like, oh my god, that happened. I feel like right okay. after. So the whole thing that I was talking about with the smell was uh, the Kim household is uh, hiding. Well, most of them are by the the mother mm. are hiding under the under the table. living room table as uh, uh, the park father and mother of their household. Uh, Talking about well, at first they're talking about the smell of uh, of the father in particular, who's, who's mostly referred to as Kim because obviously it's his household, right? Yeah. Um, 
and before they engage in some uh, sexual activities, which <laughs> sexual is obviously... Activities. Well, it does add to the low point and the uncomfortableness yeah, of the situation. Yeah, it's a very uncomfortable situation. Because after yeah. they've talked about how gross and horrible they are, which obviously... Well, basically, the whole thing is they're hallmarking his smell. Yeah. And basically, it's the poor smell. It's really that's at its, at its core. They're, they're marking that he smells like... Like the sewer, the underground, lower yeah. class, yeah, literally, yeah, and how they are akin <laughs> to that. Well, they're not; they are uncomfortable by that smell, and of course, you know, this leads. This is an incredibly uncomfortable scene, and we see a lot of Kim's reactions. I, I think I read this somewhere that Bon Joon Ho added that, like that sex scene, specifically in terms of family. It's like watching a movie with your family, and then that scene happens, and how mm-hmm. uncomfortable. Yeah, it's to watch a sex scene with your mum in the room. That's why out of it is to reinvoke that. Feeling. And I, I think it needed to be there because that yeah. would be something. That, it comes back to grounded reality. Mm. I mean, like, and they even say like, "Oh, what if the kid walks in?" He's like, oh, "I'll just pull my hand away." Like, yeah. and, and I can believe sort of that dynamic between them because, you know, for the most part, up until this point we haven't seen a lot of affection by either of the partnerships. That's true, actually. Yeah. Um, there's a li- there's enough in the Kim household to suggest that they're working together and they're coercive. You got the ass grab yes. when they all finally come in, but that you're right, that's the extent of it. Yeah, it's not it's not hugely apparent. There's not a lot mm. of kissing, Yeah, which could be a cultural thing too, I think, in Western cultures. Yeah, um, possibly, yeah. We stayed our affection a lot more physically. Um, and there's obviously uh, Kim often asks... Um, you know, Park, if uh, he loves his wife. And he's constantly yes, asking yes, and, re- and asking kind of to reaffirm their relationship, potentially mining of the fact he might be having an affair or something like that just right. to get a little bit more leverage. That's I didn't even think about yeah, it. Because I, I, I always thought that's a weird thing to keep asking him and now I understand why the dad is kind of off-put. Like, why yes. do you keep asking me about my marriage? What's going? Yeah. But you, now that I think about it, he, you're right. He's trying to get an affair out of him. Yeah, he's trying to get some leverage. Yeah, um, that's so great. <laughs> and it sort of adds to the uncomfortableness of that scene because he's obviously been looking for that leverage, and now he's he definitely, definitely doesn't have it anymore. <laughs> he doesn't get it. And on top of that, he's he can't. I mean, he can't win in that situation. He literally has his gloves down because either yeah. he's home invading, <laughs> and he just takes the insults, and then has to then hear. Like, you know, all those direct insults to him. And I mean, it's an all round, it's a family. Like, yeah, I mean, the, 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 both, you know, the daughter and the son are also hearing the fact that this is how low they think mm. of their, of their dad. And that's. Well, even like when she says, like, oh, get the cheap panties, like she's getting into it. Yeah. So it's like, it's interesting. That's their fantasy. They yeah. fantasize about being poor and it's like they're sexual. It's like, it's yeah. weird. But the more I think about it, it's like, that's interesting because. Like for them, it's like a weird sexual escape. I love it. I think it's it's one of the it's it's the lowest of lows. Yeah. Like the reality, that's what it is. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's like while the, like you know, it's not just the cheap panties. It's the daughter is uh, their daughter, the park daughter is yeah. messaging. Right, the son. Uh, so like what's every, happening? Yeah, every layer. It's like oh, I'm hearing your parents have sex. Basically, <laughs> <laughs> like it just could not get worse. Everyone's uh, uncomfortable by this I love scene. That. But that's what makes that scene so effective oh, because it's, it's just uncomfortable. But Even it's the, the right the, kind of uncomfortable. The, the theater was like, because at this point, like the whole theater. This is the first time I saw it back yeah. in November. I think we were all in on the ride because I think people also had no clue yeah. what they're walking into. And when we got to that scene, it was just like, 
God, people were losing their shit. It was so bad. Even when she's like, yeah. oh, do it clockwise instead of anti-clockwise. <laughs> oh, my God. It was great. That's sort of, but that's, that's the things couples talk about at that no, point. No, it's exactly you know? right. Like, it's like that weird specific kink yeah. um, that you're right, the Kims have to see. I can like that because yeah. it, it, once again, it comes back to it's taking the Hollywood romanticizedness of a sex scene and just yeah. being like, well... No, they're doing it because they don't get many opportunities to. Exactly, yeah. This is one of their future. They're doing it in matching pajamas. Like, yeah. there's everything in that scene makes sense. It's like it's also not like a dog tooth esque sex scene. No, no. It's like not that that weird. No, it's actually very conservative. They're not having yeah. sex. They're they're just engaging in sexual activities. Exactly. Um, like you don't see anything. No. Do you, wait. Do you see? No. No, you don't really. No. no. It's all just the hands going in the pajamas, and that's what. Yeah, pretty much. Nice. It's it's all it's <laughs> noise, but it's still uncomfortable. <laughs> it's shot the right Absolutely, way. It's shot yeah. in the way that it makes. Like, I mean, it's everything in that scene. It's just a payoff. Uh, it's payoff and payoff, and it just once again it comes back to it makes every character feel. Which is why it's I think excellent. that character, like that scene's more effective than the f- the flood scene that comes after it. Because I feel wow, like wow, okay, um, yeah. But that's just my opinion. No, it's fair enough. I mean, I I had that sort of emotional effect because you, you have the. Even the the shit coming out of the toilet when she's sitting on the stuff like just yeah. all that stuff is with the music. I was like, man, this was because I was. It it's was, a pretty long low point. <laughs> it's yeah, <laughs> it goes on for a while. It just gets worse and worse. Left, and right, worse. right, yeah, left, yeah, yeah. right. But um, no, I I found that scene really effective uh, because of the weight behind it. Because you when you watch it, you don't you don't think about it. The rain's coming out, and you don't think about what's going on at home because you're so distracted by... You've also been put in the other out. household for so long. Exactly. It's been so long yeah. since you've gone to this other house, and that's enough. I can't forget to mention before we end this podcast that both houses in that street, the flooded street included, wore sets. They built those from scratch. Crazy. That's fucking nuts, man. So do you have anything you want to add before you go into highlights? Um, let's see... Uh, I guess I got a few notes. I'll whip at you. Mm-hmm. So there is an original song. I didn't realize it was in the film. It's actually at the end credits called A Glass of Soju, which I think it was nominated for the Golden Globe Best Original Song. Went to Elton John again, that one. But uh, what's interesting about that is the original title for that song was going to be 564 Years, which is through Bon Joon Ho's math ma- uh, maths, rather, is how many years it would take for the son to save up and buy that house. So very intergenerational, like... So if we go to the ending and how the dad is now, mm-hmm. now he's the one locked in the cellar, that just based on that math, based on the, the average wa- wage for a South Korean job, it would take more than 500 years to buy the house back. So it kind of has that bittersweet ending effect mm-hmm. of him. Obviously, he, he writes the letter, but there's no way for him to communicate with his dad. When, when he left at the end there, following his actions... Yep. Did you know he was going back to the basement? No. Did really? You? Yeah. Well, Dude. I didn't think about it. I no, don't know. I thought he just ran off, and I was like, oh, that makes sense. Because so, they established the security cameras cut. They cut the wires. They established it a few times, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah they, they put it in you, so they you're keep, not too confused. They keep confused. coming back. This film's very forgiving about like information. I think that's why it comes back to its digestibility. Right. Because they reaffirm plot points enough. Not, like, obnoxiously, like, mm, in your face. It's not, like, in your face. But it's enough in there that if you miss it the first time, like like the the maid, the ex maid's the one who cut the cameras. Yeah, yeah. And she she actually says she cut she the cameras. She says it, yeah. And then, so that she can sneak in herself, exactly right. And I think so. they cut back to that shot when well, I mean, when, when he first, when he actually gets under yeah. the, the garage. That's the shot they use. Yeah, yeah. 
So, yeah, um, that's that's pretty good. But I, I really did. Um, I enjoyed that little note. But that, it's interesting you because I didn't think about that at all. I was a little, <laughs> I was a little more shocked at how violent and how crazy everything gets. But the more I thought about, it, the more I actually think it's quite justified because it's not just the smell. Mm-hmm. I I thought about this one. I was like, it's also the fact that there's people being stabbed to death, and he doesn't know that he's it's his daughter who's been stabbed in the heart. Yeah. But he also still has this expectation of like, my son's had a seizure, my wife's about to pass out, but I'm still making the guy that I'm paying drive me. Yeah. Like, there's still that level of he has to do what I say because I'm paying him, mm-hmm. and that really drove it home for me. Like, okay, I think it might be a little ridiculous at times the ending, but I I buy it. The more I think about, it, the more I yeah okay I see why. It's enough. It's enough. He does, he does I think what it's he does. Enough there, I think, I think the the smell is enough, but on the surface. But there's enough there. I mean, like, yeah, yeah. It's a, his daughter got stabbed. Yeah, there's enough. She's dead. <laughs> she died. She, she doesn't yeah. die on screen. That she's no, dying. no. That they visit the memorial yes. thing. And I actually, when I watched the black and white version with Steve, and I made a point. I'm like, does the son, the other son, die as well? He has a seizure, and they establish yeah, 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. To get him to a doctor, but then, like the husband's dead and the wife passes out, so who takes him to the hospital? So he might be dead. That kid might be dead. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's true. All right. Well, um, I'm happy to jump into th- this film. We could talk about it for years, but yeah. we should restrain ourselves, jump into highlight scenes, and move on with the show. So Zeke, what was your highlight? You probably already talked about, it, but what I probably, was your I probably have. Um, I'd say my highlight scene was probably. I do actually like that conversation of the the Kim household they have in the middle of the film where they they've got they're that arrogance yep, yeah yep, that yep. arrogance scene because it is everything in that scene so well choreographed. Mm. Um, they talk about Little Women having really good choreography in its scenes, which it does. It does, yeah. Um, but this film also has really good choreography mm. and everything needs to move at the right points, particularly in fever pitch points of the film. Um, I like that scene. I actually said it's probably my favourite scene from the film. Wow, fair enough. Um, yeah, I'd say so. I like the montage of them infiltrating the household. Yeah, that that probably, just from an editing standpoint, that has to be one of my favourite scenes. And that would probably be the two I'd pick. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. The um, I like to call it the peach montage. I don't know if that's like the term they use, mm-hmm. but um, I do want to give props to Because like I said, that very much that montage relies on the specific coverage that Bon Joon-ho would have shot. Yes. But I was watching a video essay about the edit of that montage, and I've got to send it to you now that you've seen the film. Mm-hmm. But they actually point out there's one scene where, the, or there might be many, when there's actually invisible cuts in the montage. So when the dad's practicing his lines in his, in his own house, mm-hmm. in the Kim house, and it whip pans to the son giving him lessons, there's actually hidden cuts in that whip pan just to get that motion sort of... Mm-hmm. Going and what I like about the scene, I found this out recently as well, is because Sun Con Ho, who's you know the dad, and he's he was in Snowpiercer, he's in memory, he's apparently a very big actor in South Korea. He's mm-hmm. a, known, and apparently that little shot of him being taught how to act by the the younger the son is like a bit of a nod to people who know their status, and it's kind of the equivalent of like Tom Holland teaching Robbie Downey Jr. how to act in a scene. So it's kind of like a nice little... I was like, that's a cute scene. Yeah. Um, okay. I read that song. I was like, that's that's cute. But I love that montage. I think it's just excellent with the music. I know you're not huge on the music, but mm-hmm. I think it really works in that case. Uh, this I probably have to go with the flooding scene. It's my proper highlight. Fair enough. I think it's just very emotionally packed, and I, I really love it. Well, Parasite mm-hmm. is out in wide release. Wide release. You can catch it at Hoyt's now. And uh, Luna's probably still, still Luna. DVD and Blu-ray now. Mm-hmm. It's out at JB and all so that. It's a wide release, baby. Yeah. 
<laughs> what uh, you said earlier, in less yes. words. <laughs> no worries. Jake, what's new in cinemas this week? Beautiful. Uh, a few things. Not a lot, though. We've got The Call of the Wild, which is Han Solo and Buck the Duck going adventures and stuff. Bro, that looks bad. Yeah, and it, I feel like Harrison Ford's doing the, the Doolittle thing. Like, Robbie Janney's doing it. Now, now he's doing, like, the random stuff. I think he's do-littling it too late. <laughs> or too do-little mm-hmm. too late. I really ruined that joke. It's I wrote okay. it down. It's all right. <laughs> I wrote the joke right. down. Do-little did bad too, buddy. Uh, it's okay. The Professor and the Madman, which is Mel Gibson and Sean Penn in a bi- biographical drama. And the logline is as follows. Professor James Murray, I'm saying Murray like mm-hmm. Joaquin Phoenix would, uh, begins work compiling words for the first edition of the Oxford English Dictionary in the mid-19th century and receives over a thousand entries from a patient at Broadmoor Criminal Lunatic Asylum, Dr. William Minor. So Whoa. that's in the same school as uh, Portrait of a Lady in Fire. Like, you read that logline, you're like, that sounds weirdly interesting. Yeah. And for Portrait, in my case, it, <laughs> it worked out pretty well in their favor. So I'm kind of keen to see this. Okay. Mel Gibson and Sean Penn. Interesting. The Lodge, which... I, I was like, have we talked about this? But I might have been thinking of The Grudge. Anyway, it's another, you know, horror film in a like a one-location type deal. They're in a lodge, and the guy leaves his kids with his new girlfriend, and, mm-hmm. and I don't know. It's that a sounds film. not good. <laughs> <laughs> it might be. This one I'm actually a little keen on, so this is more of a local film. In the Blood It Runs, and it's a documentary portrait of a 10-year-old Australian Aboriginal boy who's a child healer and speaker of three different languages and yet is still failing in school. So that's it. I saw the log line. I was like, this sounds really interesting. So I looked it up. Uh, it's actually a Backlot Perth exclusively. There is a, a Paradiso screening, but it's already sold out. Mm-hmm. So if you want to see this film, and I'm kind of keen to see it, uh, it's on February 22nd and 23rd at the Backlot Perth. So I think they're doing more sessions. So mm-hmm. if you can't make any of those days, there might be another one. Get on that quick. And one other thing I noticed is that the second season of Kidding, the Jim Carrey show on Stan, is now dropping episodes every Sunday for their second season. So I think they've already got four out, but I'm jumping on. Let's do it. (laughs) Well, Jake, Mm. we're not watching any of those films next week. (laughs) Uh, It's like I'm waiting for you to say that every week now. But what are we actually watching? Uh, um, Next week, we're watching something I'm very excited about. We've both seen it, but we want to talk about it now. Next week on the show, Uncut Gems. How you doing, Holly? How's it going? Hey, how are you? Good Pesach, Holly. All right, Larry, you're a Jew again. Welcome back. I made a crazy risk to gamble. And it's about to pay off. I want the Celtics to cover. I want the Celtics halftime. I want Garnett points and rebounds. What do you know? I don't know. I just know. Well, I'll tell you what I know. That's the dumbest fucking bet I ever heard of. I disagree. I disagree, Gary. A charismatic jeweler makes a high-stakes bet that could lead to the windfall of a lifetime. In a precarious, high-wire act, he must balance business, family... Adversaries on all sides in pursuit of the ultimate win. Oh, so uncut gems. This will actually be our second Safties film. This film was directed by John, uh, Josh, sorry, and Benny Safty. Very nice. And you are correct, Jake. This is our second Safty film. Uh, Since Good Time in Episode 9. It was a yeah. while back now. I got to watch this one in a really cool place, but I'll talk about that next week on Ooh, the show. a little cheeky. I saw this at home. 
on my computer. Mm. I will probably rewatch <laughs> it at home on my computer. <laughs> but there is a there is a fun story, but that will have to be saved for next week on the show. I am very happy to wait a week for this story, or you could just tell me once we turn the mics off, or you're not gonna. You're not going to tell no, me? No, I'll just, I'll just wait until next week. No. I'll, I'll, wait I'll next learn week. with the audience. But um, we I don't want to say 100% lock. We might have Jack Bet on for this one. Yeah. So uh, we'll see. <laughs> when was the last time Jack was on? Uh, I think Joker for episode 38. This is only 20 episodes ago. That will be 20 yeah. episodes ago. Yeah, there you go. Wow. So that's not too bad. That's not too yeah, bad. Yeah, I mean, like it's, he'll be on. our first guest back since returning since... back to the live shows. Yeah. So pretty much, um, that'll and be... even because we had Danny on forty five, so about thirteen episodes since our last guest. Yeah, that's it. We are hoping while. in this second year of our uh, life that we're going to have more guests <laughs> on the life. show. Um, um, I agree. It'll be good to get some variety in there, and Jack will kick us off next week, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it'll be cool. Uh, cool to have him back on the show. Um, you know, <laughs> ZKJ alumni. I know what I know what. Quaid Not is. Murdoch alumni. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just so sorry, Jack. He's not going to listen to this. Okay. On we're going to get, get a message. Thank you for joining us for the Cinema Size Show podcast. I was Zeke. I was Jake. And we'll catch you next week with Uncut Gems. Oh. It's me cutting gems.